This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeffrey Simpson and Terry South. The gang is gathered... Uh, Boy, to do what we can, and we're going to end up talking more about California fires. They just keep going. In fact, uh, not letting up at all, really. Uh, death toll now rises to 21 as wildfires scorch California. Um, still hundreds of people missing. And uh, who knows what that means going down uh, the stretch. Crazy, crazy news when you think about that. Puerto Rico still a large percentage, 80-something percent still without power. 85, I think. Man. Yeah. Disasters, fires. And so this is where we then throw out the idea, thoughts and prayers are with them. And uh, some people are offended by that idea because, you know, don't say that. Just, I guess, what, write a check? The, the problem being they say it and nothing happens. And well, they've said it multiple times, multiple disasters, multiple issues, nothing happens. Well, of, well, but I guess the expectation so of a it, thought and but a— but do something. Well, but can't you do both? They're not is the problem. That's why they're Hold critique. it. I say thoughts and prayers all the time. What am I supposed to do for California? Write I mean, a check. Well, most of the critique is coming from the politicians who jump on Twitter really fast to say something and then mm-hmm. nothing ever comes out of it. Well, like, like – because I guess it, there's – some are saying that it would be better to not say thoughts and prayers but instead just say gun control. Or say them both. I don't think anyone's saying don't say thoughts and prayers. It's the what fact that you're saying it and not following through and doing anything other than saying, hey, I'm praying for you. But haven't yeah. you done that and actually not been praying for them? Um, don't you think that happens? <clears throat> oh, yeah. We're thinking about you. We're praying about you, but you're but really not. But I guess, not. too, part of the assumption is that by me saying a thought in prayer that you would then not have a problem is not real, right? I mean, me saying thoughts and prayers for the people in Puerto Rico doesn't mean that they're not going through hell. Right. And it doesn't mean that there's the thoughts and prayers aren't helping me or helping them knowing people are praying. Sure. But again, like I was saying, the critique— Politicians, mainly around gun, a gun so it's really control politicians issues. we don't want to say thoughts and prayers. Well, it, say it, but then maybe pass a law to limit someone from getting an automatic weapon. I know, but fifty percent of the people in Congress would want to do that. But nothing happens, and they, because... so they can say thoughts and prayers. Is there a more secular? But the other fifty percent can't because they're not going to act on it. And ironically, those are the fifty percent that believe deeply in thoughts and prayers. Sure. And... What What's a more secular way of saying thoughts and prayers? Just thoughts and thoughts. Ascending good energy. Some people say thoughts and light, which positive energy. And so, what would that be any less offensive? Don't no. send me your flipping light. Change the legislation. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, the problem is we you can't say anything anymore that doesn't offend everybody. Sure, and especially if you're a politician. But it just seems like an uh, like an empty thing to do when you're not following it up. When you have possibly the opportunity to actually make a change to help it. No, I, that's now a your, great idea. But your our, thoughts and prayers, great. No one's saying don't do that. Yeah. But then afterwards, what are you doing? I know, but Congress can't do anything. Well, They can't pass anything sure. because half of the people yeah. hate the other half of the ideas. So right. but, it but doesn't matter you, what you You can you are. see the list of people who say thoughts and prayers after every, you know, after San Bernardino, after Sandy Hook, after Las Vegas. And then you can see all the guys that supported and So that's the, but the, the inference is then, I, right. But what should they say then? 
Well, you can, they're not saying don't say it. Know, they're assume, saying there's no action after they say it. But half of the people are saying we are saying it and acting. Well, great. We're acting. And the other half are saying we're acting in a and way no one's that's aligned to the rights. If you're trying to do something after it, the, the people that are complaining aren't complaining about you. They're complaining well, about the inaction from others. We'll see. But they're actually complaining about you using the phrase. Well, there's some people that well, – I don't I – don't, there's, again, people on all sides of this issue, right? right. Thoughts and prayers. But that's really what I – what I read and see is that people are complaining because there's a lots of thoughts and prayers, but then that's it, and we don't try to actually fix the actual problem. Well, what's the actual problem? The people dying because we have weapons with high velocity. You know, you put and so is the, is the actual problem there. clips? Is the actual problem right. the other add-on tools, no or is the actual problem guns? No one's even talking about all that. Or is the actual problem mental health? Sure. So which is the fix? Any or all, but there's this no discussion. I, I know, but part of this is this isn't even just the media this or the politicians. This is people on Facebook saying our thoughts and prayers are with the people of Las Vegas. Right. And some are like, well, quit praying. And we're back and to this gun control. self-moral kind of actualization right. where you're like, look, I said something. I'm good. I helped. Well, I or the moralization that every single person is um, every single person is easily offended mm. by what everyone else is saying. Right. Everyone's offended. So – if you take a prayerful concept, people don't like it because they'd rather have action than prayer. Sure. If you take an action process pro, uh, uh, approach, you're just too pol- you're too political. Everything's okay. about gun control for you. Oh my gosh, hmm. you don't have to make everything about gun control. We can't please people. No. The hey, other side is probably stay out of the comments on Facebook. Hey guys, whatever. That's a great point. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers for you guys on this show today. See, there you go. But is he going to try to fix it? No, he's not. <laughs> and he can fix it. This is wrong. This is why it's a lot. I think we need. Uh, in fact, I saw a great Facebook post somewhere. Oh, Where was it? Careful. We Thoughts need. We prayers. need a lot fewer um, opinions and a lot more role models. Mm. So shut your cake hole. Do they have opinions? And start being a role model. Do the role model, once you take that action, do you have an opinion? Or? Well, I mean, I, but I can act and not state my opinion, right? Really? Yeah. Isn't your action an opinion? Well, right, but it's not posted on Facebook. Eventually it will be because everything By is. someone else, not by me. <laughs> so the cool thing about it is everyone's offended. And we've, we've talked about, what is it, uh, micro Microaggressions, yeah. Triggers. Everyone's offended by something. Sure. Yeah. And so when we get into this, I guess at some point – You've got to decide for yourself what what's another acceptable phrase and what would be the acceptable phrase. And you're saying, no, it's really not the phrase. It's the action. Well, again, like you're saying, it depends on the person. But what does the, what does the average person in the United States do about Puerto Rico? You what do don- they say? You can donate money. OK. There you but, go. Yeah, verbally, so, I don't know what you do. But I guess then – you could say thoughts and prayers, but you better be donating money or right. you better be sending your family to Puerto Rico to help clean up. How about thoughts and prayers, you gotta do something. but don't publicize it on Facebook or no, other social media? No, your friends don't know that you have thoughts and prayers. So they'll just assume the worst for you. I only do it on my radio show. But it's what else am I supposed to say after 59 people have been murdered? Well. Huh. <sighs> Yeah. Pray for them in your homes. You could. Uh, I know some churches will accept donations that can then be sent to yeah. victims and people that are in trouble. Yeah. So that was the first show. But again, then the next show. What do you say? Yeah. And but the again, next hour. What do you say? None of that has to be publicized. You don't have to tell your friends you donated. You don't have to tell your friends that you're praying. Or why not? 
you just don't understand social media, Jeff. I mean, no, but like, no, I understand point. it. So if you have somebody, if you have somebody in your church that is has cancer and is suffering from cancer, and you write them a note and say, "We love you. We're praying for you. We're with you in this battle." That's not appropriate. That's appropriate. You could also serve them a meal. You could take oh, right. them to the hospital. Oh, so we, but we always again, think it's an either or. Like it's like if all I did was write them a letter. But, but again, yeah. nobody else has to know about that. Right. But you if I wrote to, it on Facebook, what's the big difference? You don't have to. In fact, it almost makes it seem worse if you do uh, post it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. By the way, we stopped by the Johnsons and dropped them off. Well, a that's meal. different. We're that's so different. great. But if I'm talking to the Johnsons, just found out about your mom's passing. Thoughts and prayers are with you. That's like offensive. I mean, I guess it would be better to just write it in a letter. Who writes well, no, a letter? I don't think people are offended by that. Well, somebody is, right? Well, every, Like you said, sure, you can say that on every single thing that we talk about on the show. Someone's offended. Well, but someone's offended but enough that this has become an issue. The real thing I think that brings this up every time is you have a tragedy and then people that may have an opportunity to possibly address the issue – that may have led to it or the yeah. multiple, multiple yeah. levels of issue, this is what it seems like the only thing they're doing is putting right. something out on well, Twitter then, so or what Facebook. This, what this sounds like really to me would be the left saying to the right, who they believe are kind of self-righteous anyway, mm. quit your praying and your gun loving and pass gun legislation. That's or, really what this or argument do, Or about. do something more. I don't know if they're well, saying quit. Well, you can keep praying, whatever. Sure. But, but don't – Frame this in a prayer. Frame it in legislation against guns somehow. Right. But is this is this not the same case about every other piece of legislation? Healthcare. Sure. Quit your praying all for across everyone's the board. Health. Yeah. Pass legislation. Interesting. I wonder if any Democrats say our prayers are with you. Yeah, and then nothing. But they're gets good passed. because I guess they're trying to pass gun legislation. Well, they'd be on that side of the argument, but no one's actually trying to pass. So now anything. we're politicizing prayer. Absolutely. Mercy. They wa- they wake up and they politicize, you know, brand Everything. muffins or something. That's why everyone's like, let's not politicize the tragedy in Vegas. Right. But what is that? The Republicans saying, ah, let's not have to go do something about this. Yeah, pretty much. And the Democrats saying, we're going to do something about Or they about say, this. let's not have that conversation right now. I'm like, we'll win then. Let us know so we can time this better. Hey, that can sometimes work when I want to get out of a chore. Absolutely. Uh, let's not have this conversation <sighs> it's now. It's not the time for vacuuming. Uh, well, our thoughts and prayers, I guess, are not with the people. Well, our, ours they can are. Be. Oh, ours can be. Sure. But we have to go do something. You don't have to. I think, I mean, we can do something. What I'm talking about. I'm just a, saying, like, right now, I was about you, to say. You have people who are elected to represent the people of America, and what are they doing no, I agree. I agree. for these situations? Now, well, the individual person, who cares what you do? Right. You know, well, I mean, you can it. do whatever you want to do. No mm. one's going to criticize you. But I want to think and I want to pray. Well, then have think and pray all you want. I think no it has to, you can't do it. It has to do with your belief system, too, because those people that are being criticized probably don't believe that prayer works, while those who are praying do. Mm. Well, to everybody out there that's struggling with tragedy, past hurricanes, Puerto Rico, for example, all of uh, the wine country of California— I personally, individually, as an individual, am thinking about you and am casting prayers to heaven and will somehow act on that at a later date. Hmm. You feel better? No, it just doesn't seem 
Just like, like the same. Uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else is going on that we should be thinking about and praying about? As you said, firefighters still battling 22 wildfires in multiple California counties Wednesday morning uh, into today, obviously, intensifying by strong winds. The winds will uh, pick up, they said today, causing more problems. More counties are being evacuated as the fires keep moving. 3,500 structures approximately, because I don't know if they actually know, have been uh, burned. Nearly 20,000 residents have been evacuated. 2,700 firefighters and support personnel battling the fires. An additional 285 people were missing in Sonoma County as of Wednesday afternoon, according to the sheriff's office. 7,000 people without power in Napa County alone. So that continues. Uh, President Trump on Thursday warned uh, this this morning that the, his administration response to hurricane-ravaged Puerto Rico cannot last forever. We cannot keep FEMA and the military and the first responders who have been amazing under the most difficult circumstances in Puerto Rico forever, Trump wrote in a series of tweets. He added that the island's territories, existing debt and infrastructure issues, compounding problems. His tweets come at a time when only about 10% of the island's 3.4 million residents have electricity. Uh, it's been three weeks since the hurricane hit the island, and uh, many people are just deciding to move to the mainland because, well, you know. On Thursday, the House will vote on a $36 billion emergency spending bill for areas hit by Hurricane Harvey, Irma, and Maria, and that includes $5 billion in loans for Puerto Rico to cover immediate liquidity needs. Oh, boy. They have no money. Because, that you know, is, yeah. ATMs, our banks, everything's... <laughs> Can you imagine? At a standstill. North Korean foreign minister uh, told Russian state news Wednesday that President Trump lit the wick of war against us when he threatened to destroy the isolated nation during his U.N. General Assembly speech in September. Uh, dear top leader Kim Jong-un has already warned us harshly the U.S. should act sensibly and stop touching us if they do not want to disgrace themselves in the face of the whole world, substituting ourselves I, I don't know if this translates quite correctly. It's almost like reading Trump verbatim. Yeah, totally. Trump said at the UN that the United States uh, has great strength and patience, but if it's forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. They lit the wick. Lit the wick of war. Wouldn't we say the fuse here? Maybe here Probably. we'd say we, they lit the fuse. Well, I mean, different technology. Well, they wick. have candles. Yeah. Maybe we have... Maybe, maybe they have a wick. Yeah, maybe yeah. they're just trying yeah. to light up the world. We've, we've lit the wick to light up the world. <laughs> We'll see. So the, this, this, this war of words is interesting, especially when it's being translated. Uh, the U.S. men's national soccer team, as we uh, learned yesterday, yeah. took the devastating blow. They were Bad knocked news. out. Uh, they, they, uh, this first World Cup they're going to miss since 1986, making the U.S. broadcast rights for the tournament uh, less valuable, possibly. Stinking microchip. Yeah, <laughs> that's why a U.S. soccer, uh, as the real in this nightmare loss, Fox Sports might be even more stunned. A bidding war between Fox Sports and ESPN resulted in Fox outdueling the worldwide leader to the tune of $400 million for the English language rights to broadcast both the 2018 and 2022 World Cups. Man. In other words, Fox paid about $200 million for the rights to broadcast the 2018 World Cup uh, in the United States, a World Cup that the U.S., will not be participating in. Now, so I wonder really the impact that will have because you either love soccer, it seems like, Mm -hmm. or you don't. And if you love soccer, then you're going to watch no matter what. Well, well, yeah, but the audience would be smaller. Whereas when there's the U.S. team playing, it's uh, there's a a huge spike in ratings because people that don't... I know, but that's only one game, right? Well, no, they'll have a chance. They'll have three, four games in that opening round. Right, so so that's three or four games, but... Really, there's what fifty games sure. that they have the rights to, right? 
But so, those, but those games they could sell higher ad rates, make more money, and make some of this two hundred million back. Wow. And that'll be diminished if it's just you know Germany and Finland. Yeah. I mean, there are people that are interested in that, but not as many I mean, as we if, do have a lot of. We do have a lot of uh, people that have migrated from other countries. Absolutely. That love soccer. But Aren't num- we a country of immigrants? That's, that's what I read once. But the numbers on television, you know, soccer isn't as big as, say, if the actual, you know, yeah. Patri- oh, no, if, if our patriotism team playing, drags sure. people in. No, so. absolutely. Like, my mom cares. Unless they all the take a place. knee. No, they'll be fine. If only they could monetize thoughts and prayers. Do soccer players take a knee? Usually they fall down like someone hit them violently yeah, like when nothing been, happened. That's yeah. usually the the first move. No, it, no. And they then the pretend. stretcher comes out and they have special magic spray and then they come running back on the field immediately. Yeah, that yeah, magic they pre- spray. They're pretending to be violently hurt. That magic spray really is is like the kiss of your mother. It is. It's just a water it just bottle. Gets oh, rid of you got a boo boo because you say, oh, "Well, okay, you better come inside." Oh no, no, I'm okay. Then I'm they fine. just go back. I'm out. fine. Uh, by the way, we didn't talk about the scouts. Boy Scouts of America now allowing uh, girls in to the ranks and even can earn as high of a rank as an Eagle Scout. It's a desperate, desperate move on the part of the Boy Scouts. Oh, yeah. It also seems to really have made the Girl Scouts really mad. Mm Mm-hmm. You're going to have like a brownie revolt. Maybe maybe that's a lower. Maybe they're thinking. That's Cub Scouting. Maybe they're thinking they're going to try to take a cut of their cookie sales. Ooh. Which is half of their revenue. Oh, boy. Anyway, a battle. A scout battle. Interesting. Interesting stuff. I think, uh, I mean, the reality is in my world, mothers are the ones that are earning most of the Eagle Scouts anyway. So That's that's so true. It makes sense that maybe the girls ought to be getting the Eagles anyway. And, uh, you know, one thing that the Girl Scouts don't have from us is our money because once we discover that you can get the same Girl Scout cookies at the store for like a fourth of the price, we just started getting them from the store. But are they the same? They're even better. Oh, don't say that. Sorry. My apologies to Girl Scouts. But but you're not changing the life of a little Girl Scout. Yeah, I'm okay with that. (laughs) You are ruthless. You're brutal. Anyway, straight ahead, we're going to be talking about what the science says about thoughts and prayers. And uh, the whole phrase, thinking, we're, we're thinking and praying for you. Got some interesting research about it. Uh, up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show. After the deadliest gun attack in modern U.S. history that left uh, 59 people dead and hundreds injured in Las Vegas, many took to Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to express with some variation that their thoughts and prayers are with the victims. And uh, for some, they just don't like that phrase. They don't like the idea that you're out there saying thoughts and prayers. But there is some really interesting research as to where this phrase, uh, how it came to be, and, and some research about thoughts and prayers um, and the impact that really has on others. Joining us to talk about is Dr. Kevin Ladd. He is currently an associate professor of psychology at Indiana University, South Bend, and his research interests include the interface of science, religion, prayer, and wisdom. Kevin Ladd is the author of the book, The Psychology of Prayer, A Scientific Approach. And uh, Kevin, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, it's my great pleasure. Talk about the phrase, thoughts and prayers, 
Uh, I use it a lot on the show. One reason, because I don't know what else you say after you just found out 59 people have died. Um, so yeah. where did this thoughts and prayers phrase become part of our vernacular? Yeah, well, um, first off, I'd like to also credit the um, co-author on the book, uh, Bernard Spilka, down at the University of Denver. Oh, yeah. Um, so I just want to make sure we get him in there as well. So. Thank you. Um, yeah, the um, the idea behind the thoughts and prayers sort of phrase, I'm not sure that anyone has ever sort of tracked down uh, the origins of saying that, but my best guess here on this is that what we've got is sort of a, a quick kind of a secular... Uh, nod of the, nod of the head to the tradition of of religion in America, um, coupled with a sensitivity to the realization that not everybody uh, practices some sort of religion, and so it sort of becomes like this mixture of saying happy holidays when you're not sure that it's okay to go ahead and express <laughs> your own personal faith. Right. Interesting. Like yeah. In the, well, I'm thinking about you and praying. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it really is. It becomes more of a, a phrase. And I guess that's what's making some people frustrated about it is like, I guess, when a politician is the one that says our thoughts and prayers are with you, but then they're not out acting on legislation about the right. issue that caused the disaster. That's right. At some point, um, just the words themselves are not going to be enough uh, when you're thinking about legislation. And I think that's a that's a perfectly legitimate concern. I think that often the phrase thoughts and prayers gets tossed out without anybody really thinking about what it is. It becomes a way to have some sort of language to fill this void. As you said right at the the start, you know, what do you say at that kind of a moment? Um, And um, uh, working working as a pastor as well, you find this at funerals and things, right? Mm. People sometimes say the most ridiculous things. Um, you know, at, at those moments, because we simply don't have good language. And so this this quick phrase, thoughts and prayers, fills the void, makes you feel as though you've said something instead of nothing, and then sometimes you just go on, and that's the end of the conversation. And I think that's where the problem comes in. Yeah. Do you sense that um, that that it, because the thoughts and prayers, it's a it, like you're saying, it's a, this trite. It's almost becoming a trite phrase. Um, but you've done a lot of research into uh, – or at least examined a lot of the research and past research on prayers. And so maybe give us an update about what we know from the research about the impact that praying has on people and their health. Sure. I think some of the most uh, – the well, let me, let me backtrack just a little bit, right? So some of the oldest research here – is one of these deals where you sort of divide people into two groups and you say, okay, I'm going to pray for one group and I won't pray for the other group and let's see what changes in terms of their well-being. Um, over the years, we've come to discover that that really has some severe problems from a science angle. As soon as you set one group of people aside and you say, well, we're not going to pray for them, <laughs> you're making this assumption that nobody's praying for them right. or that they're not praying for themselves and you're setting aside, for instance, we know there are groups who take as their entire life mission to pray for everyone in the world. Right. And so then you've got all these problems of, well, is the prayer of one child not as good as 15 you know, people gathered in Australia? Yeah, it's a lot of problems from a science side. And so I think the most exciting research that I'm seeing happening currently within the field is this linking together 
between what happens physiologically when people pray, especially with regard to the ways we use our bodies. Hmm. So the idea here is that when we engage in prayer, we put our bodies in different kinds of forms, different sorts of shapes. Sometimes we're sitting, sometimes we're kneeling, maybe we're fully prostrate on the floor, or we're standing with our arms raised. Each of these different sorts of bodily positions we know has a different kind of effect on our physiology. It either excites us or it calms us, for instance. And so in some of the research that we've been conducting most recently, we're able to show, for instance, that if we ask people to randomly take different sorts of positions, for instance, either kneeling or standing with the arms raised, and then we ask them, what was it that you were praying about? We can find very reliably that the people who were standing with their arms raised tend to say, well, the prayers that I was doing at that particular moment were very strong, exciting, joyful sort of prayers. Hmm. Whereas if I'm kneeling, one of the things that's happening is that the prayers come back, they tend to be much more introspective, much more about personal spiritual conditions, and much more quiet in their content. Interesting. It almost parallels um, some of the the work that I've heard Amy Cuddy doing in Harvard about, you know, power poses and yes. the feeling that and, and how that can actually transform, uh, you know, your own chemistry. That's right. Um, there have been a lot of controversy swirling around power poses and our ability to find those again. Um, as to you know whether or not the, that study particularly replicates. And she's actually come out and written pretty strongly saying, yeah, I'm not so sure that it's as bold Replicatable, yeah. as yeah, that I thought it was at first. Um, you know, and this, this happens with science, right? Yeah, you yeah. go down one track, you say, well, let's see if we can refine it. And so part of what, what we've been doing, because we were working on this uh, maybe six, seven years now, so sort of you know, her power post stuff came in in the middle of, of where we were doing stuff. And what we've been able to do is link ours back, for instance, to other work in physiology. So, for instance, we know that uh, when the head is bowed, which is a very classic sort of a uh, pose to adopt when you're engaging in prayer, when the head is bowed, it preferences nasal breathing. So we tend to pull the air up through the nose, which then we know cools some of the blood supply that's helping to keep the brain alive, and it literally lowers the temperature. Hmm. As Interesting. Opposed to, as opposed to mouth breathing, breathing, which tends to raise the temperature, right? And we're not talking here, you know, like 10, 20 degrees. Yeah, yeah. Degree. I think they're, they're very small little... But it could change a mood. It could change... I mean, we, we know meditative breathing, kind of deep breathing... Um, you know, does calm you. That's right. Exactly. Um, and we know from other studies that with the nasal breathing, there are preferences for better problem solving, better sociable sorts of interactions with people, higher evaluations of other better moods, as you've suggested. Hmm. And so we think this is really, you know, uh, a nice intersection of mainstream psychology, mainstream physiology, and showing how that links in with different kinds of praying. And you think about 
different classic moments in scriptural traditions, um, not just within the Christian tradition, but within many others, right? And at many points, there are these meditative moments when the real key is about interacting with yourself in terms of figuring out, you know, what's going on in my own spirituality. Mm. And these are classically depicted in these scriptures as times of kneeling with the heads bowed. And um, at other points, when the prayer is about social justice or striking out for world peace, right? These are prayers that we get these depictions of people standing with their arms raised Mm. and engaged in a radically different thing. And so we see these really nice connections to physiology and the way that we engage in prayers. It's interesting, isn't it? And so there's kind of the, I always talk about the body, mind, spirit, you know, approach Mm -hmm. where, so you're describing really kind of a body and a mind where the body and the mind are intertwining. Some some would just see uh, praying as just simply, you know, spirit, their spirit to God's spirit, kind of spirit to spirit. But you're also, I guess, alluding to the idea that simultaneously you might be deriving incredible benefit um, by also having your body uh, in a certain posture, your mind able maybe more to be more introspective or or outwardly focused. Um, I guess that's what's hard about science is how do you measure the spiritual side of all of this? Yes, I I think that's exactly correct. Um, I think also that these different ways in which we use our body during prayer, um, it's it's really interesting to see that this has evolved historically, right, Um, in terms of the different ways that we engage Hmm. the physicality of ourselves. And some of the early people who are talking about and directing spiritual development um, were choosing these ways intuitively. And what we're doing with the science is sort of saying, ah, you know, there are reasons behind why they're choosing these things. They're very, very keen observers um, of what's going on within the physiology. Yeah, that's powerful. There's other research. There's one one example I could toss out that's one of my favorites that came out of a study was a a United Methodist clergywoman. Um, We'd ask her to to adopt a position where she stood and prayed with her arms raised. And she came back to us and said, I can't do that. I said, I know the people who pray like that, and I know what their reputation is. I don't (laughs) agree with their theology. Can't do it. And then as the researcher, we, of course, said, ah, but if you would please, it would help the study if you would kindly engage in it, right? (laughs) And so she eventually said, okay, we'll do it. She went in, and this woman prayed for over 20 minutes. Wow. Now, to give you a sense, we've interviewed thousands of people over the last two decades. The typical prayer length is about three minutes. Hmm. She's there for over 20 so we really wanted to talk to her. So if you didn't want to do this, and you went in and, you know, you just sort of blew the end off the curve here. And she said, you know, after about the first two or three minutes, my arms started hurting and my back was hurting. And suddenly it occurred to me that the people who pray like this, regardless of what their theology is, they're an awful lot more dedicated to their spiritual formation than I am. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because I want to sit down and be comfortable when I pray. And these people are willing to engage their spirituality, to engage their conversation with God in a radically different way than I am. And I thought, what am I missing by only engaging in prayer that makes me physically comfortable? That's fascinating. She said, I'm taking this back to my congregation, and we're going to change up the way we pray so that it gives us back 
this critical edge that says prayer is not something we do to relax all the time, but prayer is something that needs to be vital. It needs to sometimes cause us pain to pull us out of our comfort and take us where God wants us to go. Oh, wow. We said, fool. That's cool. Well, and it's been, I mean, Kevin, how how wonderful for you to be able to to research this. I mean, again, you could choose any field and you choose yeah. prayer. What are you learning about how praying affects people? Because I mean, it's I, I guess it's one thing to see if if prayer affects the people we're praying for, like you were saying, that's a really right. kind of hard thing to validate. But yeah. Yeah. how does praying affect the the individual person giving the prayer? I think we've seen this perhaps most strongly in some of the works we've been doing with labyrinths. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar no. with those. Um, very ancient, sort of a spiritual tool where it has a single pathway that leads sort of a spiraling walk until you get to the very center, and then you spend some time in the center, and, and basically then you just follow the same pathway back out. Hmm. Um, so it's a, a meditative journey. It was originally, we think, um, you know, part of like this mini pilgrimage kind of thing. If you couldn't actually make a full pilgrimage, you could walk this labyrinth. It's a mini thing. And we found that this has really taken off with people and their own personal spirituality because it's something you can do as an individual. And the basic process is that as you walk the pathway spiraling into the center, you think about, what are the concerns that you bring with you for this particular moment, this particular day? And in the center, then, you just spend time being in the presence of God and listening for that still, small voice or watching for the blinding flash of Damascus light. And then as you come back out, you say, how can I take what I just learned, that moment of quietude, that moment of introspection, and how can I use that to inform what I'm going to do for the rest of today? Hmm. And so we've seen that has become a really powerful tool for people, and they report that what happens is that their moods are consistently stronger in terms of positive emotions and that the negative emotions are lower after they've had this very simple sort of a one-off kind of an experience. And so we see that on a very day-to-day sort of a basis, and it's something that people can do um, we're seeing them installed in a whole variety of places, so people go out over their lunch break after they've finished and just have a, a small walk. We've wow, interviewed yeah. pastors who do this before they preach, um, or youth groups. It's very, very uh, popular around here anyways with youth groups as a way of getting the youth to have sort of the exercise that is so you know so much more valuable uh, in the youth when you're thinking about moving as opposed to you get to our age and you're thinking about less. <laughs> Not moving, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but that exercise sort of component tends to really open up the youth for conversations that they might not have otherwise. Mm, that's beautiful. And you can almost see a labyrinth at a hospital where, yeah. uh, you know, where they could go and, and participate in that. Is it, so it actually is a, it's a, it's an actual labyrinth, a physical place that they would mm-hmm. walk through as they're kind of meditating and praying. That's right. Yes. And they are being used in hospital contexts. Uh, for instance, uh, one of the, uh, it's called the Intrepid Centers of Excellence out, um, in Bethesda, Maryland, a Department of Defense installation actually has a labyrinth there that they're using as they treat uh, some of the um, uh, military personnel who are returning with various kinds of problems like PTSD. And oh, wow. Things. 
And it's so a way real, for them it's a therapy. It's a, it's a type of therapy. That's right. That's right. You know, and it's one tool among many, and it, you know, it works for some people and it doesn't click for others, but that's why we've got many different yeah. sorts of ways that we all connect with our spirituality. Does and, do you, you know, some days it, it's good and some days it, yeah. Right. And I guess that's that's the human uh, you know battle we have is that attunement, getting in tune and and staying yeah. in tune and however we find to do right. it. Does um is there I mean to me there's something really powerful. I mean I know it's sometimes it's hard to prove, but uh, there's is there is there any data out there about the comforting effects of knowing people are praying for you? Well, certainly. I think that in all situations, right, if we've got this sort of social connection um, and we know that there's at least one other person who's out there who is at some point thinking about us or caring about us, um, and I, you know, in, in some cases that person doesn't even have to be necessarily physically present with us. Right? Yeah. And they may not even be alive at this point. So in some cases um, where, where people have talked about what's your inspiration, why do you carry on, you know, they'll talk about a grandparent or someone that they knew in childhood that they know really cared about them, and they still say, you know, regardless of if that person is still alive, that love and the principles that that person gave to me are still carrying on, and that's what continues to inspire me. Mm. And so, yeah, I think it's it's critical. Um among the believing community in particular, that, you know, you, you continue to say things like thoughts and prayers, they're with you, because it does have some sort of an effect. And it, I guess it has an effect on you to be able to pray, um, if, you're, if you're praying, and as well as others knowing that people are praying. What, what do you recommend, I mean, I guess in the debate that's going on as well, um, that... I mean, I, I I get a little discouraged thinking that people would express that you shouldn't just th- give up, quit thinking and praying for us, just do something. I mean, it does make sense, but for some, thinking and praying is doing something. Yeah, this is this is a really fascinating component, um, and we haven't pressed too far in the research on this. But there's a whole group of people, and it's a it's a very significant subset. Who argue, not argue, but they, they state when we ask them, what are you doing when you pray, for instance, they say, praying isn't something that I do. Praying is something that I am. Huh. And so for these individuals, when they say, I'm praying for you, it doesn't mean just simply something that's going on inside their own head, inside their own spirit. But for them, to pray is to work. And so in some ways, there's this disjunct where we're not necessarily listening to what somebody means. We assume we know what the words mean, and so we either embrace that or we discount it. And this happens a lot with this phrase of thoughts and prayers. We immediately make an assumption that we know what somebody else means when they say they're praying, when in fact it's going to take more of a relationship with the person to understand what they actually mean. And so if we immediately just say, oh, your thoughts and prayers, you know, they're just sort of mumbo-jumbo language that you're doing inside your head, yeah, as soon as we do that, we cut off a possibility for a relationship. Yeah. We need to move deeper and say, well, what do you mean by that? That's right. And, and just always take that next step deeper to understand more. That's right, because there's different ways of saying things like thoughts and prayers. Some people are going to say it real flippantly, you know, it's a secular thing. 
much as you do when you go to, you know, you meet somebody and say, oh, well, how are you today? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the expected feeling, you know, if somebody actually tells you. Horrible. Oh, man, I did right. not have this much time. Yeah. <laughs> but if they're authentic about that, they will stop and talk. The same thing with thoughts and prayers. Some people say it socially, secularly. Others will have a really deep, authentic meaning behind it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I guess, too, like one of the things I I always do, too, once I feel like I'm attuned and in spirit, is I always try to then find out what I should do. What's something I can do now to be part of the solution here? And so I guess we could always, you know, drive some of our meditation to um, to actionables that I can yeah, take out to the world. That's right. That's one of the things that I really like, and I think that's one of the keys to this power of this, this labyrinth that people are utilizing, is that it explicitly is a movement orientation, right? So yeah. by the time you're done with that prayer, you've had your meditative sort of still, quiet, you know, non-moving section in the middle. But then to get back out, you're walking, you're moving, you're already in action, mm. and the prayer is no longer just a time for yourself. You're very physically using this metaphor, I'm going back out to the world, what am I going to do? I'm already moving, how can I use the prayer? Yeah, and then getting answers as you are, as you're about to make your way out. That's right. That's pretty right. powerful. I've been looking, as, we, as you're talking, I've been looking at labyrinths. And, I mean, it really seems they're beautiful anyway, but they're also, yeah. it just seems like what a great process to go get aligned. I mean, I, I know a lot of people in our faith can do it in a grove. They can do it in trees. They can do it in different mm-hmm. places. And mm-hmm. there's just something powerful about being able to move while you're, while you're praying. That's right. That's right. And I know, you know, some people have done this. Um, my mother used to do this in a, a shopping mall, right, where you'd go and you'd have a prayer walk. There'd be a bunch of people. Yeah. Every Thursday morning or something, you'd go and do this. And I, I like the way the labyrinth sort of adds another dimension to it. It's a, a dimension of intentionality that sort of takes you out of the, you know, the mall, the consumerist sort of mentality. Yeah. And gives you a different kind of sense. No, this is a uh, something special, spiritual exercise. Yeah. Well, Kevin, we appreciate you. This is great, uh, great insight, I think, for all of us about the science of prayer. And uh, again, you can go find his book, the book that he wrote with Bernard Stilka, um, The Psychology of Prayer, A Scientific Approach. Kevin Ladd is his name, a PhD in social psychology from the uh, the University of Denver back in 2000. And now he's working um, at uh, South Bend, uh, professor of psychology at Indiana University at South Bend. Interesting insight. That labyrinth seems like a really powerful idea, doesn't it? Again, prayers. It's a very personal thing. And um, and you can you can connect to a higher power. You can also take those insights and that, that learning and bring it back to the world, which is, I think, the blessings and the prayers that this world desperately needs. Well, we'll continue the journey. And uh, up next, uh, more, more fun, more interesting stuff from the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, uh, we're on the show. We're really big into fatbergs, which a lot of you may not know what a fatberg is, but it's uh, it's coagulated fat 
Greece. Greece. Like in cooking the, Greece. Yeah. In the sewers of usually England for we're, some we're, reason. Yeah, it's London and Dublin, but they have the problem in uh, what, New York. Yeah. Indiana's had the problem in Minnesota. Of, yeah. So people that dump their grease, then it coagulates in the sewage system along with sewage and other issues and other Just things. Other stuff in the sewer. And so we – I don't know what it is. We're somehow drawn to this. It's but, just an interesting story, I think. And then they just get so large that they're, they're tons and tons of fat. Because before, all like that was iceberg. down there were like ninja turtles and alligators. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah and cockroaches. And cockroaches, yeah. But um, there's something else going on that they're finding in Switzerland in the sewers, and it's not a fatberg. So the story here says there's more than cash going down the drain in Switzerland. About $2 million in gold, $1.8 million in silver – Ends up in Switzerland sewers each year, according to an environmental study commissioned by the government. What? Strange as it sounds, researchers at the Swiss Federal Institute of Aquatic Science and Technologies, it's a place, says it's not much of a surprise that 95 pounds of gold and 6,600 pounds of silver from Switzerland's gold refineries and watchmaking industry finds its way into wastewater systems, along with trace amounts of rare earth minerals used in electronic components and even some paints. Holy if you're cow. considering donning a hazmat suit or a for a smelly treasure hunt, they say you may want to reconsider. <laughs> they checked 64 wastewater treatment plants across the country for elements discharged in influence or disposed of in sewage. So they checked for stuff and determined that they pose no real danger to the environment. Researchers generally conclude that the metals aren't worth the trouble it would take to collect them. Uh, they note, however, that in some areas where gold refineries are abundant, concentrations of gold and sewage sludge are sufficiently high for recovery to be potentially worthwhile. Oh, U.S. Boy. U.S. sewers see a similar phenomenon. A 2015 study estimated that Americans send about $13 million worth of precious metal down the drain each year thanks to their presence in hair care products and detergents and the like. Really? But the effort to recover it would be more than the thirteen million. That but we would find. it? Because you've seen some of these like TLC shows or whatever, yeah. what the, where they're out mining gold, and those guys seem to go through a lot of dirt. They do. So maybe it's more worth it than we think. I don't know. It obviously is because they know that there's ninety six pounds of gold in Switzerland's sewage system. Six thousand. So they've obviously gone silver, through yeah. it. Yeah. Or maybe they well just... for the study they did. Yeah, but then yeah. they're like, is it worth? The time and effort to recover it all. Maybe not to a researcher. Yeah. But to a toothless guy that's a but, miner. Yeah. 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 I don't know if you can get There's out there gold. and pan for gold in the sewer. But. Why not? <laughs> Give it a shot. Why not? Oh, that's crazy. Did you hear John Mayer has a really good idea? Um, no. Earth shattering. John cool. Mayer, the singer, John Mayer. What's he going to do? Um, he thinks that they should let everybody that's on hold... Like for mm. customer service. Right, where his music is played, yes. They should just be able to talk with one another. Just do like a conference call? Yeah. So if you're on huh. hold, you should be able to talk to everyone else that's on hold. About... Then you could commiserate. You could talk about, man, this company's sure pokey. Yeah. Hey, so where do you live? I live in L.A. Where do you live? I live in Switzerland. What do you do for a living? I mine gold in the sewage system. <laughs> really? And so do you or, think that's or, a good idea? Or would people get on there and just complain about why they're waiting on hold? Probably. Because usually you call because there's a problem. But how social and wonderful is this? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. You might just, be causing a bigger problem. It's just something to think about. Yeah. But, I mean, you could I mean, have a, John Mayer it, came up with it. Oh, it's John Mayer. Sure is. Anyway, straight <laughs> ahead, we'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show. 
Welcome back, friends. You know, you live in a crazy world, don't you? Everything from disasters, and again, I'm just going to say it. Our thoughts and prayers are with the people of uh, California who now are going through a major, major event. Um, And I don't think it's, you know, I'm not trying to be flippant, but I want to say that my thoughts and my prayers are with them. I want, uh, and I really, we all ought to be praying for these people for real, not just using the phrase, but praying, donating time, donating resources also to the people of Puerto Rico. Do what we can. It's amazing when a bunch of us on this earth get together and I think exercise our faith and exercise our our resources. We can make changes happen. Also for the people of Las Vegas, it doesn't mean there can't be some form of gun control or at least uh, you know safer gun restrictions for this country. Let's quit dividing everything by politics and let's start unifying things if we can by what we do share in common, which is humanity, hopefully. So that's uh, hour number one of the program. We'll we'll, uh, continue the journey. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier life. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here along with Terry South and Jeff Simpson. And hey, 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 uh, if you're a Boy Scout, now you will have Girl Scouts as part of your troop. Yay. Yes. To me, I'm an Eagle Scout, and uh, it's already been the case in our house. I think we have two other Eagles, one more on the way, and each one of those Eagles were earned by a female in our house. That's true. The mother is my wife is the one that lined everyone up, makes everything happen, drives every carpool. She gets the Eagle Scout, but really, we just hand it to the boy. So the girls have already been in Boy Scouts for many, many years. Yeah, women have. Adult, usually it's the mom. Usually it's the mom making it happen. So uh, that's interesting news. And, and many are like wondering, well, why now? And who really is wondering that are the Girl Scouts of America. They're trying to figure out why the Boy Scouts would turn on them in such a way. Trying to get some of that cookie money. You're trying to bring the green into the tan. I guess that's... yeah. Is that how that works? Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, it's more of a beige, but, you know. It's a nice beige. Anyway, uh, interesting news. Interesting news, especially for some of us that, you know, spend a lot of time in scouting. As I give you the South scout salute. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Find out what other headlines are out there. Uh, fires are still going on. We know that's a big deal. Fueled by the return of strong winds, the wildfires tearing through California's wine country exploded in size and number Wednesday as authorities ordered new evacuations and the death toll climbed to 21, a figure expected to rise still higher. Three days after the fires began, firefighters were still unable to gain control of the blazes that had turned the entire northern California neighborhoods into ash and destroyed at least 3,500 homes and businesses. We are literally looking at explosive vegetation, (sighs) said the chief of the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. Explosive vegetation. It's blowing up. Man, it is very dynamic. These fires are changing by the minute in many areas. The wildfires ranked as the third deadliest and most destructive in state history. And officials warned the worst was far from over. The fires have burned through a staggering 265 square miles of urban and rural areas. And what do you do? you got five minutes to get out of your house. What do you grab? 
And, no. and you got you got to hurry because you'll get trapped. People are getting trapped in these roads. Ugh, just a terrible situation. Other news, President Trump tweeted Wednesday that NBC News should have its broadcasting license revoked because of its report that he asked advisors in July about dramatically expanding the U.S. nuclear arsenal. Fake NBC News made up a story that I want a tenfold increase in our U.S. arsenal. He tweeted, pure fiction made up to demean NBC equals CNN. In a follow-up, he added, with all the fake news coming out of NBC and the networks, at what point is it appropriate to challenge their license? Bad for country. Later in the day, during a press availability in the Oval Office, the president continued his tirade against the media, essentially lamenting the First Amendment. It is frankly disgusting that the press is able to write whatever they want. Huh? Yeah. Well, I guess he'd rather that they write what he wants. Yes. And I mean, he, uh, the way he delivered it, he, did, he doesn't see the... The idea of the First Amendment and well, and I, uh, it's, I, it's it, I don't know that that was a when he compared them to CNN, they might be going, yeah, I'd kill that CNN ratings. <laughs> Probably, I knows. don't know. Republican Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska tweeted this. He goes, "Mr. President, words spoken by the President of the United States matter. Are you tonight recanting the oath you took on January twentieth to preserve, protect, and defend the First Amendment?" Okay, th- th- these are fighting words, right? Yeah. Because th- these would be the words that would allow... And then did you hear what Bannon said? Oh, what we'll did, get to this. What did he say? Bannon said, and no, they're trying to attribute it, but I think it was NBC. I, we'll mm. have to look it up. Yeah, yeah. But they were saying that um, in the end, there's a really there's a 30% chance that President Trump won't make it. Oh, yeah, I saw that. That he won't make it at the end of the term. But part of that is because it would be the the administration, the rest of the committee leaders the the chairs would take over and say he's not fit he's no longer protecting preserving and defending the constitution hmm interesting wall street ah! journal a wall street journal reporter was sentenced in absentia yesterday for spreading terrorist propaganda by writing about turkey the u.s state department issued a uh, a uh, statement of concern on Wednesday. We urge Turkey to respect and ensure freedom of expression, a state spokeswoman said. Freedom of expression, including for speech and the media, even speech which some find controversial or uncomfortable, strengthens democracies and, be- and needs to be protected. So when you have the President of the United States talking about yeah, the really seems- and then you have the Turkey, they, they start arresting yeah, our reporters that's or trying diff- to. That's different. That's Turkey. Yeah, I know. That's, but we're it, different. It's a reflection around the world of the importance of a free media. Yeah. And when you start tearing at that. Uh, also news out of the White House, the, uh, President Trump announced Wednesday he will nominate Kirstjen Nielsen to replace John Kelly as the head of the Department of Homeland Security after he took over as uh, Trump's chief of staff. Kirstjen, K-I-R-S-T-J-E-N. Yeah. Kirstjen. Kirstjen. Now, apparently very accomplished, she is an attorney and a cybersecurity expert who served in the Transportation Security Administration and in the White House Homeland Security Council under the second President Bush. She was Kelly's second in command at both the White House and the Department of Homeland Security, and Kelly is said to be pushing Trump to nominate her. The New York Times states that she is known as a no-nonsense player and policy wonk whose style has frustrated some people close to Trump. During her time at the White House, a number of senior White House officials say her move to DHS would solve some workplace issues for them. She uh, basically everything in, in the White House runs through her, right? So John John Kelly changed the rules so that everyone has to go through him to get to Trump. Well, she's the filter before they get to Kelly. Oh wow! And so they don't like her because she's a roadblock to their agenda. She's right? another. She's the pre-filter. So on either, wh- wh- whatever side you're on. 
She's the person in there making sure that the most important stuff gets to the desk of the president. Well, and what's cool about that is did Kel- so Kelly picked her. Yeah. So you know that that's a pretty solid pick. Right. And she came to D.C. after um, 9-11. Yeah. She wrote a paper on the failings of Katrina, which is uh, what has shaped the way FEMA works today. Is off of her paper that she wrote. Holy cow! Right, so she's an accomplished she's person. Legit. She's probably one of the most uh, uh, perfect people for a, a homeland security. Excellent. Well, that's fun. I love it when you have a good gatekeeper coming in there. Hey, let's uh, let's turn to um, a, a new game we're going to be playing on the show. I think I think we need to make it uh, more of a regular thing. I, I do too. And it's we've even put more of a spin on it this time around, so it should be more difficult for you and more interesting for the listeners. <laughs> Excellent. What's the game? Well, it's still called Matt Libs. Okay. You actually came up with that title. I didn't know we were going to use it. I so thought you've done... I was talking about the Matt Liberals. No. Okay. No. So, um Matt Libs, here's how you play. There are 3 Different versions of one story here. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. One of them is the true story. The yeah. other two are just not true at all. And uh, basically, I've taken elements of the stories and I've just added my own flavor to them. Hmm. So that's why it's kind of like Matt Libs. Okay. I've kind of filled it out. So here we go. Are you ready? Now, do I need to decide which one is the real story? Is the real story. Okay. Yes. Okay. Story number one. Yes. A pair of wedding crashers washed up on shore at a wedding reception near a Massachusetts restaurant. Two Kemp's Ridley sea turtles provided reception guests with a once-in-a-lifetime experience. That's because the endangered mammals are not indigenous to the eastern coast. Friends and family of the bride and groom immediately took to Twitter, posting pictures with clever captions. One of the cleverest posts was... If one of these turtles catches the bouquet, I'll just die. Hashtag, I need a man. (laughs) Bride Leah Allen says the turtles made for a really interesting wedding day and joked they'd be welcome to her next wedding reception. Ha, okay. So that's story number one. Okay. All right. Seems very authentic. Story number two. Okay. A pair of skinny dippers gave a wedding reception at a scenic Massachusetts restaurant more of a view than expected. Uh Uh-oh. Zachary Tomko tells WHDH-TV he didn't realize there was a restaurant nearby when he and uh, Holly O'Neill jumped naked into the water at a Salisbury beach on Saturday. Salisbury Police Chief Thomas Fowler tells the Boston Globe his department received several calls about the nude swimmers from both beachgoers and members of the wedding party. Fowler says police charged 29-year-old Tomko and 20-year-old O'Neill of Londonbury, New Hampshire, with disorderly conduct. Wow. Bride Leah Allen says the swimmers made for a really interesting wedding day, and she applauded them for braving the cold water. Okay. Okay, so that's number two. Okay, okay. Number three. Salisbury Police Chief Thomas Fowler tells the Boston Globe his department received several calls about strange noises coming from a Massachusetts beach. Mm. Described as a mix between a whale and a whistle, the mysterious sounds are effectively keeping locals and tourists away from the beach. Okay. Fowler says police discovered a body near the shore of Carson Beach in the summer of 2016. Many locals have since purported that the beach is haunted. What? Okay. Three stories. Only one of which is true. 
Holy cow. So do you go with the turtles crashing a wedding? Do you go with the skinny dippers basically crashing a wedding? Or a haunted beach? That's what I'm asking you. This is tough. I'm going to bet the actual, the real story is skinny dippers. You think so? Should we uh, should we not tell what the true story is until later on in the program? Just in case people want to play along. Well, or but will they forget? No, they have to just tweet in right now. Which is the true story? What do you think, folks? At Dr. Matt Show, which story? The story about the uh, the turtles that from an, are another part, from another part of the country mm-hmm. showing up at a wedding. And then being brought into the wedding party. Or uh, skinny dippers being seen during a wedding event. Or a haunted beach. And you think it's the skinny dippers? I think it's the skinny dippers. Okay. Because I didn't think people would skinny dip anymore. Well, we can come back to it and we'll do like a a five-second recap of each story. Okay. So at Dr. Matt Show, tweet us, uh, let us know which one you think is the real deal. Pretty simple. And if you if you happen to win, you might get a prize, but the prize will be of no value. <laughs> the prize will just be a, a, a really good high five from the Matt Townsend Show team. We do have one more story that has to do with a uh, not a mammal, but an animal. What? Well, I guess it. I don't know. Would you? Is it a mammal? Because anyway, yeah, they're not endangered. Let's just say. Residents of a quiet town in southeast or southwest Ohio swear they're not seeing things when they tell people monkeys are on the loose in the neighborhood. Wait, monkeys? Monkeys? Residents in Lebanon, a city about 30 miles northeast of Cincinnati, have used their phones to capture photos of the monkeys hanging out in trees. Lebanon police say they're aware of the reported monkey sightings and are investigating. (laughs) Residents suspect the monkeys were pets at some point. Residents say the monkeys haven't been spotted since being photographed several weeks ago. Oh, they're shy. But can still be heard. I think this is the beginning of like a... Planet of the Apes type scenario. That's what they can hear on the beach. The beaches aren't haunted. Those are monkeys. Ah. Making it to the beach. Every monkey so maybe, loves a good beach. Maybe the haunted beach story was the true one. No. See, I'm telling you, we've been talking about signs of the time. You know, rumors of war. Yeah, got that. We have cockroaches. Yep. Cockroaches. Snakes biting people in a restaurant. Yep. Now we've got monkeys loose in a neighborhood that can't be seen, only heard. Oh, wow. You guys, it's time to start, you know, getting your food storage ready. (laughs) Anyway, uh, up next, we're going to be talking about how to find your authentic voice. Interesting interview we'll be revisiting uh, right here on The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio.
In today's world of online retail and social media marketing, today's age provides numerous opportunities for entrepreneurship to flourish. There has never been a better time to build an audience around your idea or product, but with so many people and companies clamoring for attention, it's also more challenging than ever to do the work that deeply resonates with the marketplace and creates true and lasting impact. Todd Henry is the author of the book Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Own Authentic Voice. He says the key to standing apart from the noise is to find your unique voice. And we're going to revisit an interview I did with uh, Todd recently. I began the interview by asking Todd Henry what he meant when he talks about an authentic voice. Well, I think that when we use this word authenticity, I think we tend to use that word to mean just saying whatever's on your mind or just doing whatever you think or feel. But I think authenticity is more nuanced than that. I think that what we have to do, Matt, and and I think what what the stories of the the people I interviewed for the book show is that we have to root our work in something we substantially care about, something that really matters to us. And then we not only have to to root our work in that, but we have to let other people see what we care about and why it matters to us Hmm. if we want our work to resonate. I think that we're in a, a culture right now that is highly skeptical, cynical, and they're looking for a reason to discount anything that we say or do. And as a result, I think that we have to be much more intentional about ensuring that uh, who we are, what we care about, where we're going, uh, and, and the things that really comprise our best work are put out there for the world to, to connect with. I, I guess that's the point, huh? because today we live in a day of you know abundance, it seems like, where multiple opportunities – and you might be able to, you know, import something from China and make a lot of money just reselling it on Amazon or whatever. But if it doesn't move you, you're not going to want to – you're not going to bring be, bring passion to it. You're not going to, to – it's not going to stand the test of time. It's going to fade. I think that's absolutely true. And I think, you know, as we consider, you know, all of us who are listening, those of us who go to work every day, we – uh, engage in work that hopefully is having some kind of impact in the world, regardless of what our job is. You know, everything that we do is contributing value in some form or fashion to the business, to the workplace, you know, where we're engaged or to the marketplace in general. I think all of us want our work to stand for something. Uh, you know, even if we don't necessarily you know, love the tasks that we do all day, we want to know that we're going to work every day and contributing something that that has value and and i believe that it's not about you know, finding the perfect job or finding the perfect product or finding the perfect whatever but it's about our ability to bring who we are to what we do every day and to position ourselves so that we're bringing unique and compelling value into the world hmm. now can you do that i mean it seems like some things are more just altruistic some things seem to lend more to uh to maybe a good tender good heart but if i'm a financial planner you're saying I could still bring – my work could should speak for me, and um, I could still bring something powerfully and unique to that field. Absolutely. I, mean, I would say not only should it speak for you, I would say it does speak for you. I think everything that we do, every piece of value we contribute, every decision we make, every message that we communicate speaks for us, and it actually speaks louder than words. Our body of work speaks louder than the words that we use. We all know there's people who position themselves really well, right? And they, right. they come across really slick and really well positioned, but at the end of the day, we just kind of sense there's something dissonant there. There's something that's not congruous. And I think a lot of times it's because people are operating in a way that's not consistent with who they really are. I think people, consumers in general, are getting savvier about the ability to discern 
when somebody is not coming from a, a standpoint of authenticity. Is as Tim Shiggle, the founder of Share This, an online uh, sharing platform, told me, he said, authenticity doesn't have to amplify. Right? You don't have to scream. You don't have to shout because people will resonate with your message if you're rooting it in something. Hmm. That's interesting. If we are, if we're rooted, then I don't need to just go out and blow everybody up. I could simply do a. Um, I, I could just simply share my message and my passion, my authenticity. will carry it. What? What? When you when you talk about this, give us some examples in the work that you've done and from your book, Louder Than Words, where where you've seen somebody take and find their authentic voice and and really it it became a, a really strong amplifier in their work. So there there are three kind of core elements that I saw at work in the lives of individuals and businesses as I uh, interviewed people for this book. And really over the course of the last couple of books I've written as well. It's funny because all of these books kind of flow together and many of the stories have sort of been building up to this this message of of building an authentic and resonant voice. But uh, the three kind of core drivers of what I call the voice engine, right? The drivers of an authentic, compelling voice. The first one is identity, which is really about answering the question, who are you? Hmm. What is the platform upon which your best work is founded? And I think for many people, they never really ask that question or many organizations. I mean, they have nice mission statements on the wall. They have nice vision statements, but those vision statements aren't connected with reality. They're not connected with what people are actually engaging in every day. And so I think one of the things that we have to do, and I saw uh, many people in the course of my research who did this, we have to identify what is it that we really care about. So one of the ways we as individuals can do that, we can ask, for example, you know, what fills me with compassionate anger? You know, what problems am I obsessed with? Uh, what moves me emotionally? What, you know, what makes me cry? Um, you know, how do we develop a sense of, of who we are, of, of how our work is, is uh, most resonant? One of the, the people that I had the chance to interview for the book was uh, a guy named Amos Heller, who was a, a, a musician. He's a bass player, uh, and he was kind of the, the, the king of bass players in his home city, right? He was uh, mm. uh, kind of the, the, the go-to guy that everybody wanted to, to play bass with him. And he, he decided, you know, I think I'm going to move to a place where I can maybe have more impact. So he decided to move to Nashville. Um, and he moved to Nashville, became a, a small fish in a very big pond. And one day, a, a more experienced person was asking him, hey, what do you want to do? What is it you really want to do? And he said, well, I'll do anything. I'll do studio session work. I'll do, you know, I'll, I'll go on the road with someone. I'll, I'll play showcases. And his friend said, that, that's not good enough. That doesn't help me. That's not precise enough. And he said, you have to tell me exactly what you want. And Amos said, okay, great. I want to be on a bus traveling down the road performing with an artist. That was kind of his – he said, great. Now I know how to recommend you. Amos had chosen something very specific. Hmm. And through a long series of circumstances, Amos ended up getting a, a, the kind of opportunity he wanted, and that led to another thing, led to another thing. And now Amos is a touring bass player for Taylor Swift. Oh, wow. Right? This is over the course of many years, which is kind of a really nice gig to have as a bass player, right? Yeah. But it all began – and I've seen this happen over and over again in careers – with people in, in, in the marketplace and in other places where they're afraid to make a decision. They're afraid to commit because they don't want to miss out on opportunities. But the reality is it's kind of counterintuitive. But when you refuse to make a commitment, that is often when people don't know how to recommend you. You, know, you don't know how to look for opportunities when you're not being precise. But it's the moment that we begin to decide. The word decide means to cut off. 
when we begin to decide and make a decision, that opportunities reveal themselves because we're being precise and we're founding our work upon who we really are. Mm. So that's really what identity is about. It's about founding your work upon who you are, making bold decisions with your work uh, and, and, in that and, area. And you gotta you gotta make that tough cut to 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 I guess to to benefit and to and to know. I mean, part of that is saying it right when you finally say what you want. You can see how it feels. That's exactly right. And and again, I think I think a lot of the people, Matt, are afraid to make bold decisions because they don't want people to to discount them. They don't want to miss out on opportunities. But the reality is, if you're trying to please everyone with your work, and this is true in marketing, it's true in career decisions, it's true in launching a product. If you're trying to please everyone, you're not going to please anyone. Mm. You're not going to resonate with anyone because people are going to sense that you're just putting it out there and trying to get the best response you can from everyone. It's going to be a very shallow response. It's not going to be a deep and resonant response. So you have to found your work. You have to root it in a sense of identity. Who am I? What do I want? And am I willing to make bold decisions in order to get there? That's great. And that's really kind of the first core driver of the voice engine. The second one, Matt, is vision which is about where am I going? So I'm not doing my work for me. I'm doing it because I want to lead an intended audience somewhere. I want to take them somewhere. I want to impact the world in some way. And this is what vision is about. And the the most compelling voices that I discovered in the course of my research had a clear vision for their intended audience, for the people they wanted to reach. I don't know if you um, had a chance, Matt, to see the Like a Girl campaign that mm. the Always brand created no. last year. Uh, it, it, it was a, a campaign that was created uh, by Leo Burnett and Procter & Gamble for their Always brand. And uh, it was basically what happened is they had uh, these uh, kind of like young teenage girls uh, you know, come into a room. And then they had some like, adult women come into the room. And they asked the adult women on video, what does it mean to run like a girl? Right. And they were kind of flailing about and doing this sort of really uh, stereotypical kind of thing. What is it? What does it look like to, to throw like a girl? And they sort of did this stereotypical, oh, you know, flimsy throwing thing. And then they brought these young uh, early teenage or preteen girls in and they filmed them. They said, what does it mean to run like a girl? And they just took off running hmm. all serious, you know, serious on their face. What does it mean to throw like a girl? And they threw with a really determined motion. And what they were trying to point out is that at some point in our lives, these narratives creep in, and we begin to turn something like run like a girl, which these young girls did with great determination, into uh, sort of a type or something that's kind of a, a, a slanderous thing to say about someone. And they, they filmed this video, they put it out, and they wanted to attach that to uh, help to, uh, to a, a, a mission of helping teenage girls with self-esteem and help them understand that you shouldn't let these narratives affect you. And so they put it out as a, as a YouTube video, and it got millions and millions of views. It resonated wow. deeply with the audience. And then it turned into a Super Bowl commercial. It actually was a very successful Super Bowl commercial for, for this brand. But the reason it resonated, according to the people who created it, was they were taking what they cared about. They wanted you know, to, to help people understand the, the importance of self-esteem among young girls, which they've done tremendous research showing that those teenage years are a time where self-esteem takes a tremendous hit. What the audience cares about, which obviously is the same thing, but then also an idea that was kind of already out there in the world had momentum. And they wanted to build something at that platform and, 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 and at the intersection of those three things. And when they built it at the intersection of those three things, it had tremendous resonance because it was on a vision of where they wanted to lead their audience. Mm, so identity, that's cool. what I care about, 
vision. Where do I want to lead my audience? Where do they already want to go? And how do I begin to create messages that will meet them where they already are? Powerful. And so, when let's you do take, that. Let, it has tremendous power. Let's take a break and come back and do the third engine. Um, uh, the the third voice engine. Identity is one. Vision is one. We've got another one coming up. Again, we're speaking with Todd Henry, author of the book Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Authentic Voice. These principles, these tools where you find your voice, you find your identity, you find your vision, um, it, creates, it creates a force. It creates a power in you that uh, will enable you and your organization to, uh, to take it to the next level, to produce results. And do so in a way that's aligned to your purpose in life, your vision. It's cool stuff. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. More with Todd Henry when we come back. BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you feel like uh, you are an authentic human, an authentic individual? Do you feel like you know who you are, your identity? Have you answered the question, who am I? How do I want to impact the world? Do you have a very clear vision of what you want to do, either professionally or just in your life? Because... Having those two things questioned, identity, who are you, your vision, where do you want to take uh, your life, um, there, there are two key parts to what is called the voice engine. And joining us today uh, is the author of the book, Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Authentic Voice. Todd Henry joins us. If you go to his website, toddhenry.com, you can find out more information about his speaking, articles he's written, books he's written, and um uh, just a great resource to help us figure out who we are, our voice. And we welcome you back, Todd. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Matt. So you've taught us identity uh, as part of this engine that, that'll help you know our voice become more authentic. Also, our vision, having a vision um, and knowing who we're about um, truly can, can be powerful. What, what's the third uh, part of the voice engine? So the third driver of authentic voices is mastery. And mastery is about mastering the set of skills that you need in order to bring that voice into the world. Because without mastery, you won't be credible. So last year, I was speaking um, just outside of San Diego at an event, at a conference. And in order to get to Coronado Island, where I was speaking, you had to drive across a bridge and through a, a narrow sliver of land. And on one side of the land was a naval base. On the other side of the land was the U.S. Navy SEALs BUDS training facility, where the yeah. Navy SEALs become Navy SEALs, basically. And my driver said, you will see those SEALs out there at 7 in the morning one day, and the next day they'll be out there at 2 in the afternoon, and the next day they'll be out there at you know, 12 midnight. And he said, it's just that they do randomized training, and the they do that, Matt, is because they never know when they're going to be called upon to confront an enemy at a moment's notice when they're going to have to, to step up to address a threat. And so they have to be battle ready at all times. And that phrase really resonated with me. I thought battle ready, what a great way to describe you know, those of us who, who go to work and we're confronting problems and we're having to deal with complex issues every day, even though obviously the threats aren't nearly as, as dangerous or imminent as what, you know, as what our, our military faces, 
I thought, what would it take for me to be battle ready or for the people I work with, or the companies I work with to be battle ready? And I think that's the mindset we have to adopt when it comes to mastery. Hmm. What are the set of daily practices or dailies that we need to engage in every single day so that we're prepared at a moment's notice when an opportunity arises, we're prepared when a crisis arises, we're prepared to deliver our message or to deliver, to deliver value at a moment's notice. And so, for example, that could mean how much time do you spend every day studying, you know, noticing patterns in your environment, paying attention to nuance, paying attention to emerging trends, paying attention to what's going on, not just in your industry, but outside of your industry, because the next great idea for your company or for your industry may not come from inside your industry. Right, right. So how much time do you spend studying nuance? How much time spending conversation with other people who sharpen you, who challenge you? Do you do that on a daily basis? Do you have strategic conversations on a daily basis to push you out of your comfort zone, to challenge your thinking, to help you pay attention to patterns? Do you have a collective of people that you meet with on a regular basis? You know, do you do business development every day? Are you out there planting seeds that are going to bear fruit in you know, days, weeks, months, or years? So these are just a couple of examples of the kinds of daily practices that we need to build, Matt, individually, if we want to be prepared, if we want to be battle ready or be in, as athletes call it, be in game shape, you know, ready to step on the court or step on the field at a moment's notice. It seems like uh, mastery as a component, I mean, all of them, I guess, identity, vision, and mastery, they, they bring you a, a kind of an inner confidence, an, an inner sense of who you are, that you're capable, that you're battle ready, as you say. Which seems like now I could I would use that energy, that positivity to share my voice, to be more strong, more aggressive. Absolutely, no question. And you know, the funny thing is all of these drivers of the voice engine, identity, vision, mastery, they all work together, right? So as you develop a sense of identity, who you are, it helps you cultivate your vision and where you want to take your intended audience, the people you're trying to impact. And then understand what skills you need to develop, what patterns you need to notice, you know, how you need to sharpen yourself so that you can deliver that value, which then also, by the way, as we act, we learn about ourselves. We learn about who we are and what we care about, what we're good at, what we're not good at, which then feeds again into our sense of identity and who we are, mm. which then sort of perpetuates the cycle. So they all kind of seem to work together within individuals and organizations who get all of these three pieces right. That's powerful. So you go out, you teach this to organizations, um, and and you train them on this. What, what are you seeing? I, I mean – this is this is what happens when all of a sudden everybody in a company has an authentic voice. Well, and this is the challenge, right? The challenge is that you have to have a culture that is willing to embrace and adopt this mindset. Because frankly, I, I think there are many organizations out there that are kind of afraid of <laughs> empowering people to be able to speak what they're saying and to, to bring who they are to what they do. The reality is, though, that when organizations get this right, especially within teams, when you have teams of people who come together uh, and, and enact this kind of boldness and this kind of uh, you know, identity, vision, mastery, working together within the team, something powerful happens because people begin speaking their mind. People begin confronting one another. They begin talking about ideas and, and arguing and fighting over ideas, not over personality. Hmm. Because when we feel like we're not welcome, our voice isn't welcome into the conversation, our, our conversations tend to be petty, our fights tend to be petty, we, you know, conflicts arise because people feel like they're not being valued. But once you welcome people into the organization, it creates a patina of accountability throughout the organization where people recognize 
if I don't speak up, if I don't bring myself fully into this conversation or into this environment, then I'm not going to be around for long. Right. You know, because I am accountable for doing that. And it's actually kind of the opposite. If people are afraid that it's going to introduce negative conflict, actually what it does is it quells negative conflict and it introduces positive conflict. You know, all fighting is not bad inside of organizations. Fighting over ideas is a good thing, right. but we want to create the kind of environment where we're fighting about ideas, not fighting over personality or petty politics. Is that is that's so true, isn't it? And and all of a sudden, yeah, this confidence makes it so. If if I am on a team that can't adapt, that doesn't want to become, you know, kind of a more empowering team where everyone has an authentic voice, then you you would also have enough strength to opt out and to just leave. And go find a place that does have it instead of just feeling, you know, disempowered and disabled in your workforce. That's exactly right. I mean, weak leaders try to control. They try to control their teams. Weak leaders try to control the voice of their team. They try to control the input of their team. Confident leaders, leaders who are confidently adaptable, not driven by ego, because ego is about control, it's about Mm -hmm. inflexibility, it's all about me. You know, I'm invaluable, not I'm valuable. These are different mindsets. But confident leaders are willing to empower the people on their team to shine because they recognize that the greatest potential for impact for me as a leader will only be revealed through that leadership, only when my influence scales. So leaders who are are confident are about influence, not about control, Hmm. right? And this is a, a very different thing. I want to replicate. So when your voice begins to really create impact within the organization, others become carriers of your message. They resonate with what you're doing, and then they begin to carry that message throughout the organization. And that's the power of an authentic voice. If it doesn't end with you and the people who hear you, then other people become carriers of that message, and they adopt it. It becomes part of the fabric of the organization that you're leading. Well, I think if anybody listening, you've probably seen that happen. You've seen one of these uh, these leaders uh, anywhere in your life that where their voice did get carried and it did kind of magnify through other people who took on that voice and it spreads. I mean, you can see it. It exists. No question. And and it is, it is the path to greater impact and greater influence. Listen, if you have work that you care about work that matters to you personally, of course you want to see that influence other people. You want to see it lead up. If you want to create a body of work, you can point to with pride and say, that body of work, that delta, that change I've created represents the sum of my greatest accomplishments, not the sum of my greatest compromises. Hmm. You know, but in order to do that, we have to be willing every day to put ourselves into the arena. We have to be willing to bring who we are to the table and say, hey, I'm going to like it or not, you know, resonate with it or not. I'm going to bring the best of who I am to what I do. And I'm going to strive to build a body of work I can point to with pride. What, what would you say, uh, Todd, is that? is something I can do today that anybody out there listening might be overwhelmed because, oh, I don't even have the book and I got to get the book and learn it and read it. But what, and you've, you've mentioned uh, identity, vision and mastery. What would you say is like the one thing that if they just started doing it today would immediately open up their eyes, their mind to more authenticity? So I want to give you a, a handful of questions you can ask yourself as it relates to identity to help you begin to drill down on what what really fuels my what is the work that just resonates deeply within me that I think will also resonate with others. The first one is, and I mentioned this earlier, what fills you with anger? Not, and I'm not talking about road rage. I'm not talking about in, you know some somebody did a slight injustice. 
you off in traffic. I'm talking about compassionate anger. The word passion comes from the root word pati, which means to suffer, right? So compassion means to suffer with. What fills you with compassionate anger? When you see it, you think, ah, somebody needs to write that injustice. When have you seen those moments of compassionate anger in your life, in your work, and how has that fueled your work? And how can you bring that sense of compassionate anger to the work that you're doing today? Whatever that is. You, know, you mentioned financial planners earlier. It could be, I'm tired of seeing people taken advantage of by the very system that's supposed to help them. Hmm. And that fuels me with compassionate anger, and I'm going to parlay that message into something that will resonate with my intended audience. Another one could be, what makes you cry? What moved you emotionally? You know, when have you been moved by something you've seen? I, I am profoundly moved, Matt, by the stories of underdogs. You know, and, mm-hmm. and I, I, like for example, I wa- recently watched the movie Rudy. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, movie I love that. Yeah, Rudiger from. Oh, love that movie. And at the end of the movie, it's this tiny little guy who makes the football team. He's being carried off the field. You know, my wife comes down while I'm watching. And she's like, "Why are you crying? You, <laughs> you are a mess." Times. I'm like. But but he's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. They're caring about, you know, I'm moved by the stories of underdogs. And guess what? That fuels my best work. It fuels a lot. I I spend a ton of time with organizations who are David's taking on Goliaths. And I love that because it's something that's just core to how I see the world. I love helping underdogs. So what is that for you? What moves you emotionally and how can you parlay that into uh, something that can have impact for the world? And just one final thing you can ask is, what, what problems am I obsessed with? Where do I find myself naturally gravitating? If, if given the choice between five different problems, which one will I tend to gravitate toward the most? In the past, where have I done my best work because I've been so obsessed with solving a specific kind of problem? And how can I seek out more of those kinds of problems in my work so that I can begin to be decisive, to be precise, to say no to things that are okay so I can say yes to things that are great. Because the reality is we can fill our life with a lot of good things, a lot of good work, and neglect the great work that we're capable of as a result. That's great. Good stuff. Todd Henry's his name. Go to his website, toddhenry.com. The book is Louder Than Words. Harness the power of your authentic voice. He's got other books there as well. And uh, just more information about the articles he's written. Everything you need to know about Todd is there. Todd Henry, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much, Matt. You bet. Great stuff. Wow. Isn't it interesting? You got your life. You got it's yours. It's all yours. Do you have an identity? Do you know who you are? Do you have a vision about what you want to do with it? Are you mastering something? It's authenticity. Seems basic, right? But you got to begin somewhere. We'll take a break. Come back. Wrap up the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, just to to update you, um, Jeff and I were playing a game, a little uh, Matt Libs, we call it, where Jeff tells three stories, all using similar data. Right. Virtually. Only one of them is a true story. So just recap the stories. Okay. So in the first story, there was uh, these two Kemp's Ridley sea turtles that showed up at a wedding reception. Yeah. Okay. Sea turtles that don't belong in this one geographic area. Right. So the uh, second story, it was a pair of skinny dippers yeah. that were swimming near a wedding reception. Exactly. Okay. Problem. And Ruin the, a wedding. In the third story, 
People were complaining about strange noises coming from a beach, and so locals thought that the beach was haunted, haunted. because of a body that washed up on a shore on the shore a year uh, earlier. Oh, scary! Now, that is so scary. I have some great news for you, Matt. Yes, because you I, guessed I guess. the correct story, <laughs> which was the skinny dippers, skinny dippers swimming near the wedding reception. That's always the correct story, <laughs> even if it's incorrect socially. That is the one. And you know why I knew that was the real one? Because why? you were giggling. I was giggling? You gave it away. You're like... <laughs> yeah, I was a little embarrassed. Yeah. But uh, I almost Skinny tricked dippers. you with that first one no, with did. the uh, endangered... Se- I thought it was the turtles or the... They really Skinny are dippers. endangered, but uh, they weren't at the wedding reception. And by the way, uh, turtles also skinny dip. That's true. When no, they lose, they're covered, covered when they lose with their, their shell. shell. Yeah, but, you know, every once in a while they got to get out of their shell for well, a minute. They don't, loo- they don't lose their shell until they're like 90 years old. Well, no, they clean it. They got to get out to clean it. Oh, okay. That's all those skinny dippers were doing. Do they have to take them to the dry cleaner? No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's time, uh, perfect segue from scary things to uh, one of our great producers, Leanna Tan, is here with us. Leanna does what we call tangents. And because it's that wonderful time of year when these are the, when the kids all want to get out to the haunted houses, the haunted corn mazes. And uh, Leanna is going to, I guess, go off on this. You're going to do a little tangent. Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it live. Now, now, because normally you just lay, you put these down on uh, on tape or whatever vinyl, and we we play them. But this time you're 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 here live. I know. Now, have you have you done the corn maze yet? Have you done it yet? Or no, I haven't. My friends are deciding this weekend, so they want. I wanted to go to a corn maze, and my friends wanted to go to a corn maze. Yeah, and uh, part of them, part of my friends. I mean, some of my friends. Yeah, I was like, which part? <laughs> Their heads. Well, yeah, their heads want to go. Okay. No, actually, they don't. Some of them don't want to go to the haunted corn maze. Some of them do. They, why would? What's the difference? Where would they go if they don't go to a corn maze? Well, I mean, it's a, there are haunted corn mazes and there are non-haunted corn mazes. And so some of them <laughs> just like that thrill of being scared and some of them are terrified. And I'm in the terrified group. And so we're deciding today. We have to decide today yeah. if we're going to do haunted okay. or not haunted. Well, we can help you. Okay, please. We can walk you through this. Can you? We can walk you through the corn Because I need your yeah. advice. Just tell us what we need to do. Well, I thought in either scenario, there's kind of a, a hillbilly that's a part of the corn maze anyway. So yeah, whether no, no, it's scary or them, not. But don't call them hillbillies. Okay. They Farmer just, Joe? They just run the corn maze. Okay. They own a cornfield. Have you been to one? Yeah. And? Nightmare. Okay. I lost, I lost three friends there. All right. Actually, well, not three friends. Our very first year we did the show here at BYU... We took students. That explains a lot. And we lost three of them. When do you graduate? December. Okay. Yeah, You'll that... get out in time. Don't worry. Yeah. So anyway, which? how can we help you make this decision? Well, I just listened to the two opinions. So I called my friend who okay. is the one that kind of wants, is kind of hurting everyone to go to the haunted house. Yeah. And heard her opinion. So gave okay. her a phone call yesterday and this is what she said. First opinion. Hello? Hey, Nene. So, I wanted to talk about this weekend, but I need to be persuaded. So, I'm just wondering why someone would pay to have someone scare them. 
I mean, I guess part of it is you might just have to be an adrenaline junkie. Anything haunted at the end of the day, it just kind of makes you laugh about it. Like, oh, I fell on my face or oh, I ran into the chainsaw guy or something. With haunted things, not only is it an adrenaline thing, but you're able to kind of come together with whatever group you're with and just kind of be together. But if you're in a corn maze, aren't you trapped in there? Like your fears are chasing you and you have no way out? Things in masks and things in, you know, robes and stuff, that kind of brings on the essence of the season anyways. Like that's what Halloween is about. That's what October is about. Just like bringing on the fall, bringing on the costumes and you're supposed to be spooked. I'm scared of being scared. That's probably valid. I mean, I think everyone is scared about something for sure. But being scared of the dark, you know, just kind of knowing that if you turn on a light, it'll be fine. There's no longer dark, you know, and corn mazes, like just knowing that it's just a person underneath the hood thing and that you're with people, you know, that scream with you or whatever. So you're just saying if I keep a rational mind, then I will survive. I don't know if rational, but I guess just the knowledge that it's okay to be scared. No, that's a good point. It's okay to be scared. Okay, I will continue contemplating it. What do you think? Scary! That sounds so, horrifying! I like Nene's insight. What? She She's she's really good at understanding the spooky side um, of this. And you, like you said, you were afraid of being afraid. Yeah, I, that's scary. But so here, let me ask you a question here. Okay. What is your goal? Because here's the deal. If your goal is to, are you taking a young man with you to the corn maze thing? He's taking me. Okay. Whoa. Whoa now. That just got frisky. Um, okay. So you're going with a young man. So is your goal to be hugged, hugged and cuddled? I think I'll be hugging and cuddling. I mean, I think I'll be protecting him. Because here's the deal. <laughs> Apparently, when you're afraid, you're more likely to get to stir those loving emotions. Oh, really? I promise. Because those loving emotions come from the same fight or flight or mate brain. Your your poor wife. (laughs) I know. So that's why I'm always like, ha! Freeze! I'm scaring (laughs) her all the time. So if you want some, that's why that's why kids like these scary movies, and they always like to go on dates to scary movies because it makes everybody. But you're want trapped to in there. You're exactly. trapped. I know, but that means it could be hours of cuddling sensation. Okay. I don't think it's so much that we want to be scared. I think it's we want to laugh because what's the first thing we do after we jump or we get scared? We start laughing. Well, some. I, I cry. But... Yeah, you cry, and then others <laughs> need to go to the restroom. <laughs> Because they were so scared. Sometimes you laugh so hard you cry, so maybe that's it. So that's one version. That's the pro-spooky. Okay, but listen to the con side, which I I mean, it's pretty convincing. So this this isn't Nene. No, this is my friend from New York, Courtney, and I gave her a call yesterday to hear her story. New York, Courtney. Hello. Hey, Courtney. I just called you because this weekend my friends want to go to a corn maze and I'm kind of looking for validation of why it's a horrible decision to pay to have your worst fears chase you. Yeah, it's not uh, something that I say I would do again. It's not fun. I mean, really, you're just like spastically, aggressively shocking your body. It's not like a good feeling. So if you have an active imagination, all you're doing is scaring yourself even more. Yeah, (laughs) that's me. So I've been to two or three haunted houses. Okay, and how was it? Well, one of them was traumatic. My uncle, who is a very bony, tall individual, jumped backwards and his body slammed into my face because he was so scared and broke my nose and I was 
was bleeding. And because it's a haunted house, like there's a rule where it's like the people who are working it are not allowed to touch you. And so I had to continue through the entire haunted house because no one was allowed to like help me or aid in this fact that I'm like bleeding and in pain and crying and had to go all the way through while people were jumping out screaming and scaring me the entire time. And so that is one reason why I don't like haunted houses because if something happens, like they can't tell the difference between someone crying because they're scared or someone crying because they actually like broke their nose. So was there anything that you liked about it? Um, no. Okay, well, um, <clears throat> glad I did a little bit more research on this. I will take uh, your thoughts into consideration. That's pretty convincing. Right there. I mean, that's terrible. Wow. New York Courtney had quite an experience. <laughs> no, right? Her uncle Ichabod Crane apparently <laughs> took her out. She makes a good point. If they can't touch you, then they can't you carry could you out. I think those bodies in there are real. So are you going, is the, is the, the spooky one, are either of these corn mazes one where they can touch you? I don't know. Well, I'd, I, don't know. I think I'd go for the touch always, oh. just in case you need to be carried out. You know, my opinion always on this is go for the one that costs less money. That's not a bad idea. Another opinion, if you're looking, if you can't decide, just know that you could go to the non-spooky one. And then if you need a little spooky, you could just go watch the latest White House press briefing. Why don't you watch a scary movie on your phone while you're walking through the non-scary corn maze? Save money. I like that frugality. Wait till you have a family and you can take all of them and then they're all like, this is so boring. This is not even scary. Where's that Ichabon Crane guy I'm inviting both of you tonight. Or have you decided? Saturday night. Have you decided? I don't know. Go spooky. Spooky? Go spooky and we'll have you back on the show. Uh, and then I want to find out what happened. And, and then That's let if me she know. makes it back. Well, if she survives. And we'll find out, too, if you're going to marry this guy. Anyway, uh, great insights from uh, Leanna Tan and her tangents. Again, I'd say go spooky. Pro touch, spooky, corn maze. Watch out for Ichabod Crane. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with my team, Jeff Simpson and Terry South. The gang's all here. And man, oh man, have we got a great uh, show for you. By the way, if you've missed any of our past uh, shows, we do three a day. Three full one-hour shows. So if you miss any, you go get on iTunes, you get on Stitcher, you go to BYURadio.org. You can go to MattTownsend.com. You can go to JeffreySimpsonDancingMonkeys.com. Hmm? Huh? You can go anywhere and find our show. Stitcher. We're everywhere. Anyway, we got a great uh, show today. We're going to be having one of our contributors, Jeanette Bennett, will be joining us to talk uh, really all things business, all things about success and, and health and effectiveness. Also, um, we, we, we got to pay tribute to the great uh, um, emergency workers that are keeping, I, I guess, to the best that they can, California from the entire state going up in smoke. Unbelievable news coming out of California. Uh, the fire continues to rage. Uh, death toll continues to grow. And um, uh, 100 and what? Something, 113 people still missing. 
probably even more than that even. Plus, uh, more and more are dying. 170,000 acres have been scorched, 3,500 structures. So let's get to the headlines with Terry South, uh, get an update on that and anything else that's going on around the country. Terry, what's going on? Uh, Authorities in California say it's going to get worse as the winds pick up, and they'll continue to push the fires into new counties. So there's new, new evacuations across different cities now. Uh, the term explosive vegetation has been used. So what is that? A tree that explodes? Yeah. Just so tre- full of... They're dry. Yeah. Trees are dry. The heat hits it. It just, Bob. boom, explodes. And then that sends the flames... It's like a war scene. ...further on down the road. Yeah. yeah. Up so into the, the numbers, wind. as you were talking, a couple of the numbers, the death toll rose to 23 Wednesday night. According to the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office, at least 285 people were missing as of oh, Wednesday. Man. More than 150 people have been injured. And 3,500 homes and businesses have been destroyed. So I don't, they don't, nothing's contained. They're not even giving you like a percentage. A story of a a high school sweethearts that have been married 75 years found dead together. Yeah. Unbelievable. And by the way, 22 fires are burning. This isn't one fire. This is 22 fires and the winds and five years of drought. It's just like the perfect storm. It does. Firestorm. In other news, President Trump ditched or pitched his uh, tax plan in a boost for uh, truckers at an event Wednesday in Pennsylvania, saying America first means putting America's truckers first. They need to work on their yeah. slogans. Yeah. A little repetitive there. Uh, <laughs> Trump appeared before about a thousand cheering people at an airplane hangar dramatically draped with an American flag. Two big rigs were in the background. It will be rocket fuel for our economy, Trump said, of a plan that would dramatically cut corporate tax rates from 35%. To 20%. I thought it was 10,000 people. No, it's bigger. Uh, reducing, Didn't Obama have a bigger crowd? Probably. For the trucker? Uh, we'll find out. Reducing, they'll reduce the number of personal income tax brackets, boost the... Why is reducing income tax brackets seen as something to help the middle class? Hmm. They're just going yeah. from seven to three. It doesn't actually change out your taxes because they haven't announced where you're going to yeah. fall. With so, but they keep announcing that as like this is a bonus. The middle class should look at this as a bonus. Well, I, I, yeah, it's probably more because the last version of this, the the uh, the rich and wealthy were getting a really good deal. Yeah. So now, it's but they're a- just reducing the brackets yeah. where we all fall into. Well, they, they might be raising your taxes. You don't know. You don't know. But they're pitching it as, as a positive reduction. thing. And also, they're going to boost the standard deduction. Trump said the cut to business taxes would help truckers because there will be more products to deliver and more contracts to fill. He also said his plan would benefit middle-class families by lowering rates, uh, creating new jobs, and making it easier for business owners to pass companies on to their children. Hmm. That's, I mean, if you're wealthy, hey, if you're in that top... Five percent, or if you're say 1%. the president who's worried about passing his business on to his kids, yeah, that's helpful. I, I don't think I'm going to have much to pass on to my kids. Trump, your kids would have to kind of go into your business and yeah, want to talk to people. And mm. I don't know if your kids are leaning that direction, but uh, no, they want a healthy life. Well, there you go. Trump also said he would help truckers with a yet to be announced infrastructure plan that he said would have a quote special focus on roadways and highways. They will be smooth, beautiful highways again, he said. Okay. I thought he said, so, smooth, uh, I thought he said smooth, big, fat, beautiful highways. Nope. I, I think he was quoting a John Denver song. Is that what it is? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. 
Just Rock, Rocky like Mountain High or something? Yeah. Some line in there? Yes. Yeah, smooth, smooth Rocky Mountain highways. highways. Uh, the Trump administration reluctant uh, response to Russia's meddling in the 2016 election has left some vulnerable Democrats fearing that Moscow could try to swing the results in 2018. Democratic senators up for re-election are concerned that the Trump administration is dragging his feet on thwarting sophisticated Russian cyber operations that could have significant impact on their races and could even sway which party wins control of the Senate. While the president, President Trump has diminished the focus on Russia, as he's said it's a hoax, experts and the government officials at the state and federal level report that U.S. government is woefully unprepared for future attacks. The, uh, let's see here. The uh, President Trump and others in the White House, as well as the Trump administration, failure to properly staff federal agencies responsible for dealing with such threats like the Department of Homeland Security. They're trying to get the, the secretary in yeah. there, right? We talked about that last yeah. hour. Yeah. Even many Republicans have expressed concerns about the 2018 elections, which begin as soon as March with the Texas primary. Boy. So whatever the situation was the last election, we haven't done anything to fix it. Right. We're right. still investigating it. Facebook and Google and Twitter will be up to Capitol Hill, and after November 1st, they're apparently going to release all the ads that they found. Release the ads! It'll be great. Um, so we talked about corn mazes um, the end of last hour. Yeah. So a three-year-old boy reportedly got left at a Utah corn maze Monday night uh, when he was in the... Oh, um, no. He's in there with his parents, and then he got hey. left behind because everyone left. The parents ventured into the corn maze. Uh, this was in uh, a city here in Utah. The child on Monday night and did not realize the kid was missing until the next morning. What? The boy was found uh, by a good Samaritan who took him to the maze staff. They tried to locate his parents, but they were not at the maze anymore. The boy appeared to be fine, was taken to a ch- uh, child protective services. The parents did not call the police until Tuesday morning and told them the child might still be in the corn maze. The fact that it took them so long for them to realize the child was missing... Was it purely an accident? What were the circumstances? These are all questions that the, the police are trying to figure out. But uh, Don't you notice when you go to put that child to bed and they're not there to be or put in a car bed? seat? Or Other versions of the stories talk about how the family apparently lives in a home with a bunch of different families. And so there's all these kids everywhere. So it kind of comes back to like Home Alone when they mm-hmm. left Kevin. They started counting and they miscounted. The neighbor's kid was in the van. And, you know, it did mistakes. Those people went all the yeah. way to Paris. But that was Living in the morning yeah. in Chicago. Yeah, now that was negligent. Yeah. This is this. Oh, this makes sense now. See, it's just Home Alone. This happens. I saw it in a movie. And then you're left with the corn maze guy. Like, hey, you want some kettle corn? <laughs> Actually, I don't know what kettle corn is, sir. He knew. He knew his brother's name. His, oh, that and poor kid. He knew his cat's name. That was the information they were able to get out of the kid. My parent, or my children, knew my first name when they were like one. Yeah. Well, they, they and call they you started, by that name. They, yeah. Like, hey, yeah. Jeff. Yeah? It's Jeffrey. Excuse me, it's Jeffrey. <laughs> if you don't mind. So what do you think the odds are that they just forgot the kid? I think whatever we call this, it would be called negligent. Yeah, there's no other way around I mean, it's it. one thing to like, I get it. I really do. I get getting out of the parking lot. I could see that. I could see that. Like, I thought mom put the kids in, but I could even maybe see you get home. Right. But... Because, I mean, sometimes when, whole you, night? when you have older kids, like say they're 10 or 11, yeah. they put the, they, you can have them put the younger kids to bed. Maybe that's right, what they do. Right. So who knows? But then there's the idea like you have to buckle these kids in. They're three. Yeah. Right? They're not just you toss them in the back of the car, hopefully. Right? Hopefully yeah. you're putting them in some sort of a chair. Well, apparently this, this, they, must, they might live in a commune or whatever where so, you show up in a van and all the kids are. How that. many kids... What's the threshold? Four kids, five kids, when you start forgetting oh. about the new ones? Well, uh, well, right now I can't remember any of my children's names. <laughs> okay. But 
I, I know they're there. So I, it, there's very simple math to this. Okay. One child, easy, you double team, mm, sure. right? Yeah. Two children, you go man to man. Three children, zone. Okay, zone yeah. defense. Zone defense, yep. Four or more, it's a prevent yeah, defense. Yeah, it's a prevent. All you're trying to do is stop just somebody not, You're trying not to lose being, at that point. Yeah, from scoring. Yeah. We shouldn't judge, <laughs> yeah. though. I just I misplaced my three-year-old the other night when we had a uh, school event. Shh. You might not want to say that on the air. Well, they you wanted to go to the it? playground, and she just ran up ahead without us when we weren't looking. And, uh, yeah, somebody brought her back to us, thankfully. Wow. Hmm. No, th- but that makes sense, right? I mean, I lost one of our – I didn't. I was at work, and my one of my children was lost at a big fair. Hmm. And I got a frantic call from my wife, and I arrived, and the police were all looking for him, and they found Ooh. him. They found him selling candy corn. So, you know, my, my wife lost my six-year-old. He was about four or five. They went and saw Finding Dory mm. at the movie theater, yeah. right? She goes, he went into the restroom, and then she stood there, and he somehow left the restroom and left. He was gone. No, it happens. It happens. So she alerted the staff. They shut the building down. Oh, I bet. Locked yeah. the doors, mm-hmm. start searching all the theater. He went right back to his seat. He was watching the movie. Mom, what's the big deal? I've been in my seat <laughs> like, all day. What's going on? I think I'm going to miss this. They're going to find Dory. I want to be here for that moment. <laughs> so know? it's almost like it was, you know, it's it's your turn to get lost. Everybody gets Every, lost. No, everybody right. gets lost. The problem is when it goes like 20 hours. Yeah. It's like the, yeah. The next and, and morning. nobody's reported anything and they, they don't even notice. What you're, was that show? The first 48? Yeah, 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 that's the crime show. You're sitting around the breakfast table and you're like, did anyone see Jimmy? What happened to Jimmy? Jimmy? Hmm. Well, he was at the corn maze. When's the last time we saw Jimmy? Oh, the corn maze. One more hour at the corn maze. It may have been a crime scene. Cute old Jimmy always talking about our cat, Scruffy. By the way, speaking of animals, did you hear about Vladimir Putin's got a new puppy? (laughs) You showed me the photo for this. And it's it's pretty funny. I, I mean, Vladimir it. Putin is the guy known as, you know, the one on the horseback with his bare chest, always has these really macho shots of him, you know, swimming with sharks, doing all these dangerous things. But now there's great pictures of Vlad cuddling and kissing his cute new puppy. And um, by the way, I guess it was a gift uh, from it's it's a, what's it called? An adorable alabi dog. And are you are you going to explain the photoshopped version that you showed me? Well, so now Twitter sphere <laughs> is going off, and um, so the dog, by the way, is a beautiful dog. But now everybody oh. is putting up uh, doc, you know, doctored photos of Putin <laughs> holding a dog. Some are saying with Trump's face, or like Putin taking Trump out on a walk. <laughs> anyway, it's it's everyone's having fun with it now. And um so we'll put those up on our Facebook page just simply because I think a it's super fun to see how cute uh, Vlad is, the softer side of Vlad- Vladimir Putin. And by the way, how cool is this uh a guy that I went to not high school, but I went to high school with all of his brothers is now the is now the um what do they call him? He is representing the United States in Russia. He is the really? ambassador to Russia. John Huntsman. Oh, John Huntsman. It's a big deal. Yeah. And I guess he's, you know, his, he, they're excited. They were really shocked as a family to be asked to, to go serve over Russia. They've already served in China and Singapore. I, I mean, just this is as his third much, time. The claim to fame for me is just as strong as yours, though. What's your claim to fame? Well, because I work with somebody... Who went to high school with his brothers. Yeah. He, John was older than all of us. Yeah. Yeah. 
But nonetheless, still a great story. And now I'm a little frustrated because the Huntsman's could have given Vladimir a dog, but now the the Turkey, the Prime Minister from Turkey did it. He jumped the gun. He snuck that dog right in. Can you say Turkey without thinking about the food? No. Yeah. It's a great point. And Turks and Caicos uh, gets me so hungry. I know. And I don't even know what Caicos is. But it sounds it's like got cake in it. So it sounds like it's got cake in it. <laughs> I love turkey and cake. Uh, you mean Turks and Caicos? Yeah. They beat the United States. Oh. I think, I think they're the ones that, that knocked the U.S. out on an electronic data point. Tragic. Tragic! <sighs> so much to talk about, folks. Really, um, so much to get to on this show. And the funny thing is, you don't, we don't know, we're not always able to get to everything. Yeah, but let's do a little more empty news right now. Uh, Jeffrey Liam Simpson is the anchor of the empty news. Jeff, enlighten us. How many moves have you been to? Uh, come again? Moves? Moves. Like moving Helping of Helping people move. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm busting moves all day long. Like but, uh, Young MC? Uh-huh. Yeah. That was the artist. Like Young that MC? That did bust a move. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I think you are saying MC Hammer. No. Okay. Uh, excuse but, me. I believe it's just hammer now. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, by the way, I don't – I w- didn't even move my family into our new house because I had a speech that somebody had scheduled the day my family was moving. Did you ask them to? Yes. <laughs> I, ha- I had a move that my – I asked my assistant to schedule – this speech, so you I gotta get to. me out of this move. I do not want to move things. So anyway, this guy, this Montana guy, is lucky enough to have a couple of friends that can help him come over and move, which a lot of people don't do, have. I mean, a lot of people don't have that. Yeah. or family. They don't yeah. have like a church support group or family or friends nearby. So these two friends show up, and little did they know that they were helping him steal forty thousand dollars worth of items it from another man's home. That was a robbery. So one of the friends allegedly rental, rented a U-Haul without knowing it would be used in a crime. Oh, boy. The other told police he became suspicious and left after he saw military medals in the Great Falls home. He doubted 36-year-old Patrick Joseph's, Joseph Adams <laughs> Jr. served in the military. Investigators say the true homeowner came home later that night, found oh. his home had been burglarized, and called 911. Prosecutors charged Adams on Thursday with burglary and criminal mischief, both of which are felonies. Bummer. So is that going to make you uh, think twice about helping people move from now on? Yes, absolutely. How do I know this is your home? That's a good point. I'm not going to move anybody that I don't have a signed affidavit from uh, their lawyers that this is an actual You need to see proof of address Uh and a bank statement. And I might not even move them then. And their library card. Remember, I'm still over. I'm still trying to get. I've got very delicate ankles. The grankles, yeah. This now, has been the. You call them grankles. This has been the word of the week. Grankles. Uh, weren't those potato chips? Oh yeah. See, I now I'm not going to be able to say grankles without getting hungry. <laughs> um, kind of yeah. creepy. Out also. Totally. So I'm not going to move somebody because I'll twist an ankle. There you go. Instead, but you know what? I'll I'll sit in a director's chair, and if you want me to lead the move, I'm a great leader. But you'll need somebody to stand there and fan you and feed you grapes while you do it. Yeah, I call that staff. Sure. So I would need a staff 
and I would need a megaphone so that I could yell out my orders or bark them out. Boy, oh boy, lift with your legs, boy. <laughs> you got to lift with your legs all at once now. Yeah. See? I could have started a moving business. I, you know what the problem is? I grew up in a home where my mom liked to move the furniture regularly. Oh, yeah. And, and we talked about my mom will probably want me mm-hmm. to move hers while I'm there this weekend. Yeah. And so I, I've been moving furniture my entire life. I, I've And I, I, I pretty much – I think I invented – you know those little coaster things you put under a couch that you can move it easier because they're slick and they – have you yeah. heard of those? Yeah. So, we've got them. Yeah. I, I, I invented those. Really? As a I, young kid. Because my mom would say, hey, can you move that couch over here? And I'm like, yeah. And then I'd just like put it on a newspaper and a bunch of newspapers, and then I could more easily move it. I think you have a jar of uh, change that you found in all the furniture that you've moved. No, totally. That I, I, seriously, our family, we would shake down our couches, and then we, when my mom was gone to work, we would all go to the store and buy donuts. That money put your kids through college. See, when you put it that way, it sounds very sentimental. Ah, that's what we bring you, folks. Just a little bit of the heart from the Matt Townsend Show. Up next, Jeanette Bennett, one of our great contributors, will be uh, enlightening us about life and leadership. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Jeanette Bennett, who's founder and editor-in-chief at Bennett Communications, uh, where she runs a bunch of magazines. I like to call it about a jillion. A jillion. That's close, give or take. You have a ton of magazines, uh, including Utah Valley Magazine, Business Q, Prosper Magazine. You do a bridal magazine, which is a really uh, hard magazine. Not magazine. It's a hard industry because... Every year, everything's new, and everyone's hyping everything, and then you've got all these bridezillas. Totally. Not you, <laughs> but in the industry. No, it is it is true. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten less in touch with what's in style. So I'll have to ask no, my too. younger people, which dress, yeah. of, you know, which one looks good? Because I can't tell. Is but that I, cool? Oh, is I, a belt you cool right that? now? No. Are we wearing belts? <laughs> Are we wearing belts? Do we wear flower crowns? How about is that suspenders? Because I'm, I'm thinking of suspenders soon. I think that's always a good idea. It seems good to me. Grandpa used to wear them. Um, you've got a really interesting topic you're going to talk to us about when we about events. Right. So I want to talk about events, which is something that I've had to learn to do and to love yeah. as a business owner. I grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of parties at our house. Right. That wasn't something we did. We had seven kids. We were our own. You are the party. We were the party. We were the dog and pony show. So as I got older and had to learn how to attend them, be a good attender, and also host them, I've learned a few things. Okay. And I think it applies to other things as well, like baby showers, family reunions. But this stresses people out. Like I, no, it does. We don't have a lot of parties at our house. We get invited, so we go to a lot. Right. And I, we never reciprocate. Like We never have them. And part of it is because I don't feel like we have a house that's very easy to entertain in. And I feel that way sometimes, too. I don't always have fun at my own parties. Yeah. I've had to learn that. Oh, yeah. Right. Because when, when they're at my house, I'm thinking, oh, did I change yeah. that towel out? Right. And did, are they noticing they that baseboard right now, right. right now that I just barely noticed? Oh, Dang it. I know. It's so <laughs> dusty. 
<laughs> I know, but at other people's houses, I never think that. Do you then think the maid is doing such a bad job? <laughs> the maid is because fired. that's what I think all the time. We need more maids. <sighs> um, so, okay, events. So this could be home events, like mm-hmm. inviting people to a party to your house because the holidays are coming up. But it also could be. Business events. Right. So the first thing is just to know that they're important. I think in our social media world, it's easy to not get in the same room and breathe the same air. Yeah. But I think it's important to to really shake hands and hug and have those uh, connecting experiences with family and business associates. And social media enhances that for sure. When I go to a party, either family or business, and uh, I see someone I follow on social media, it is fun to ask them about that trip or yep. tell them that was funny. Or hey, I saw that one thing. I can't. That's what I always say. I don't remember. What was I that was one laughing thing? so hard. What was it? It was that one thing. <laughs> right. So pathetic. But in person, I think those relationships can be deepened. Yeah. New pictures can be taken. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can find out who's been posting pictures of themselves 10 years ago versus now. See That's what they so, really look like. Do people do that? Because they sure look like they do. Yeah. But That's then true. I, I also think it's important to know the difference between just a lighthearted get-together that you don't need to overthink – and then there are events you really do need to put some effort into. Okay. Cause that, and that's hard because it's stressful, right? And the more – the bigger you make this in your head, the bigger stressor it becomes. Right. When maybe you just want to have a friend over for – you know, a couple of friends over for a barbecue. You don't need invitations for that. You don't yeah. need a balloon arch. You know, and, and if you think you do, you won't, you won't do those things as often. So first of all, no. Is this a simple um, just event, social gathering that doesn't need – that type of attention. And if it is, go for it. Have those more often. When do Don't you when it. do you need a balloon arch? <laughs> well, I'm thinking <laughs> never, but <laughs> That's a lot of balloons. Prom maybe. But like cuz I mean even anything like just um, our son coming home from an LDS mission, we would then invite everyone over to come see him, and even that is stressful. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cuz like how do you feed all the – and you don't know the numbers. How many are really going to mm-hmm. come? And what time are they going to come? How do you keep the food warm? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I thought I would do a low-key thing when my son opened his call and then also his – when he spoke in church. Both things turned into just Oh, totally. Did you guys have a spotlight chaos. too? We had a big spotlight <laughs> Hired out Hired a videographer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Drones going over. It's, no, so, no. it's so hard. It is Yeah, hard. so we need to know – now. and how do you decide if this is just going to be low-key and what is low-key? Is low-key a number under 10, mm. under 20? I think a small number, yes, and also if the if there isn't an overall purpose. If the purpose is just to breathe the to same air out. and to just spend some time together, then don't overthink it. And I think we need to do those things more often, just those low-key things. But then there are those times when it's planned in advance. The date is important, right, because it's going to be a baby shower. It is going to be a mission event. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's going to be an open house for your business's new location. Right. So that's the, the kind of thing that is a little bit um, more official. And so you want to pick a date in advance. Uh, and I think invitations are important. They could be printed. A lot of people go with Eventbrite or even just a Facebook message or something like that. But somehow people need notice to be able to put that on their calendar. And then so you could put it in an, uh, an app like Eventbrite and send it out to everyone and they can respond if they're coming or not. Right, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. Or yeah. paperless posts. There's, there's several options like that. And uh, then you can message those people easily too yeah. as well if something changes, if, if it's rainy and now it's going to be inside. Sorry, we're closing the business down. Yeah, we changed our mind. <laughs> we got nervous. Uh, right. So um, I think when you have one of those events, give people time. So maybe two to four weeks depending yeah. on, on what it is. And then I also think it's fun to have a theme. 
I'm kind of a theme girl. Are you? I am. Well, yeah, you are a theme girl. I, I like themes. I think it, it builds excitement and kind of curiosity. Do you, do you want the theme? Like, what about like a dress up theme? Mm-hmm. Do you like that kind of stuff? Because to me, when I get one of those, I'm like, ah, oh, boy. <laughs> I know. Now you're making me think. I know. But here's the but thing. But it does make it fun. It does. If you do a theme, you have to completely own it. You got to really get into you gotta it. You got to be like, this is the coolest yeah, idea. We're right. all going to wear hats. It's a hat theme. It's a hat theme. Or whatever that's it cool. is. And uh, and just do it with confidence. And if you end up being the only one in a hat, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. But then but, what kind of friends do you have? Yeah. But I would say for attendees, dive into it. Have some fun. It's cool. I think people who hate Halloween are those people who don't dress up. You have more fun when you jump in yeah. and you participate. Even if you feel a little silly at first, you'll be glad in the end. All right. Well, yeah. for half the people. For half the people. Because some people love it. I, I do. It's fun. It's fun. It is It's fun. more fun than sitting home, vegging, doing the same thing you always do. With right. me, it's always the idea of just getting there and doing it is like, ugh. But once you're there, <laughs> I love it. Once you're there, you feel the, feel the vibe of it and it's fun. Right. So I had a little period of time where I hated Halloween. It's because I didn't dress up. And I've been dressing up for several years and I'm looking forward to it. What are, you, what are you going to wear? It. What are you going to wear? So I have a five-year-old, yeah, and so since she was born, and she's kind of an only child, she's a caboose. I dress up with her. We do it. We do. Oh, you wear the exact same thing. We wear a combo. So oh, neat. So uh, this year I'm going to be Mrs. Claus, and she's an elf. Oh, cute. Last year we were Elsa and Anna. Well, Jeff and I are going to do something. We haven't announced ours yet, Mm. but it might have something to do with Elsa and Anna as well. Really, let it go. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Okay, let it go. Yeah, so just jump in. Be an attendee that, that makes your guests feel great. If, if you have a party where you're saying, bring cans of food for the food bank, be that person who brings cans of food for the food bank. Yeah. You know, don't just show up and slink in there. You hey, know? <laughs> I forgot my cans. I'll get them to you later. Right. That's true. That's actually cool. And you could like do it as a charity fundraiser thing. Bring. I mean, that's great. It's kind of fun, and that's. But, but be the kind of just you're saying. Pick up your game and get involved. Right. Quit I'm, being the loafer. Yeah, make it fun. Make it cool. Have a purpose. Yeah. And uh, also I think it's important to communicate in addition to the date and a theme if you're going to have one, um, communicate the schedule clearly. So is it an open house? Because that matters, so, right? Or uh, is yeah. this come a come and go in? as you want. Yeah, because yeah, that, that matters. Or is it a dinner? And is the dinner going to start half an hour into it? I think more yeah. information is better yeah, I agree. for people. That way they know what they're getting into. And I think they'll be more excited if they kind of understand the timeline of it. You know, um, I went to a business open house that was really powerful because, like, they got the chamber involved. A lot of people were there for, like, cutting of the ribbon thing. But also they had a ton of food trucks. Cool. And so if food trucks mm-hmm. know that you're going to have so many people, they'll show up. And they they were giving a discount, but the discount – the business was sponsoring right. and giving everyone a discount. That's but cool. But you still had to pay. Yeah. And I thought, honestly, that's probably fine. That's probably okay. And that's another thing to communicate clearly. Is there a cost here? Is there going to be food? Yeah. <laughs> you know, make it make it clear. Is it are you hoping for donations? Yeah. Is there going to be a fee? Is it per person, per couple? Yeah, you don't want them wondering what your motive is. Right. Yeah, I got an invitation in the mail yesterday to a, a business gala and there weren't any prices on there. And it made me wonder. Huh. You know. Is this if like I a bait if and I switch? RSVP, is my credit card going to get hit? <laughs> like, you just totally. want to know. You just no, want right. to know if it's complimentary or, or if there will be a fee. So communicate clearly, and then also, and that's upfront with your with your guests. And then during the event or before the event, communicate clearly what people's roles are during the event. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I've held business events, and I and I realize as it started, and I'm hosting people that I haven't clearly communicated to the people helping me what I want them to do. And then I'm hoping they read my mind. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm yeah. hoping that they know somebody should be standing at the door greeting right, everyone who right. enters. <laughs> and nobody knows to do if, that. If I didn't communicate that clearly, that's my bad. Right. That's my fault. Right. And so communicate that clearly. Or if you want your, your husband cleaning up the tables during the baby shower, throwing the garbage away, tell him. That's important. Or else. He might just be eating little sausages on the couch. Right. And he has no idea you're fuming over there. Over. You're like, hey, relax, man. All you got to do is open your mouth. <laughs> right. I so would love to help. Pe- people need to know because they're willing to help. And your kids, get your kids involved around. Or, I mean, everyone at the end, you know, there's always people that are like, hey, can we help you clean up? And you're like, no, we're fine. But right. the minute that door shuts. You've got uh, so much to do and you're... It's overwhelming. It is. I learned from my... I had a, a step-grandma. My grandma passed away when I was 10. My grandpa got remarried to his cousin. Oh, there, wow. That's another Yeah, we'll talk topic. about that later. Talk about that later. But this wonderful woman that they grew old together and they've both passed on. And she liked to host little parties. And one of the things I learned from her when you said, is there anything I can do? She would create a job yeah, for you. Yeah, give you something. And it made me feel comfortable. Other than just standing there watching her dish up little yeah. tarts or something, she would tell me, why don't you go grab some spoons? Or can you count out the napkins? Such, or, uh, yeah. she just kind of, Sometimes it felt a little made up, maybe, but it made me feel like a part of it. I and so that. when people ask, then involve them. Say, perfect. Why don't you set these glasses out? Or... Well, and maybe that's another way to do this. If you're not somebody that normally has a party, invite someone to co-host. Right, a invite a idea. friend to be part of your party, mm-hmm. and then see if you can have it at their house. <laughs> Is that rude? And then, hey, like I'll buy the meat, uh-huh. but do you I'll, want to have I'll, it at your house? I'll stop by Costco and get the cookies, but <laughs> you but, have your maid dust your baseboard. Right. Like it's funny. We, I think, a lot of people know that we don't entertain very well, and so when we do have to entertain, a lot of people come out of the woodwork to help. Oh, that's nice. They know you need the help. They know we need the help. The and it's amazing. Like they're like, oh, like I, we had people finishing a picture wall of ours once, like ten minutes before we started the party. Nice. You have good friends. Yeah, really good friends. Right. It's because we go to their parties. See, you've put money it's, in that bank in that it's emotional about bank. Events, isn't it? But I like the business idea of events too, because this is also where you're showing love, appreciation, care. So you don't even need a reason to have a party. You could just have a party. You could just have a party. You could. There's or a business a payback, in town you know? that that celebrates these random days, like it's uh, you know Sailor Day or something, and talk like a pirate. Day. Some, <laughs> some of them I think they've made up, but some are on some website somewhere, and they have a little party. They That's they throw cool. pumpkins off a crane at Halloween. Oh, wow. They just kind of make up reasons, and I don't think they always get great attendance, but it's it creates unity among their staff. Oh, yeah. The few people who come love it, and then on social media it shows the culture of your business. I do it. I do a lot of them all the time where they'll. Uh, a business will invite all of their customers to come to a date night or a marriage event with me and I'll talk about relationships and we laugh and they're doing it to really pay back to their clients. That's cool. So anything you mm-hmm. can do to kind of pay them back. Or I, I know some that would take them to a corn maze. We just did a story about make I sure you take that. your kids. Make sure you pick them up when you leave. Um, <laughs> but events like that. And there's so many things that you could just – if you didn't want to have it at your place, you could have it at a corn maze and offer the – the tickets to a corn maze you totally to your could. people. And then that's a win-win, right? Yeah. The corn maze gets people there who are buying their hot chocolates and right. all of that. You didn't have to clean your house. So easy. <laughs> so easy. Right. So, and I guess, too, this is about giving back. Um, it's also about just being a good member of the community. I think so, too. And you want your friends and your customers to be happy, right? You want to add, even if it's a little bit of happiness to their life, you want to add some joy and some yeah. purpose. And so we can do that little by little with a small event or sometimes a bigger one when it warrants it. You know, one of the funnest things I've done lately is um, 
I've been to an event where you go to the TV room or wherever the TV is in the house and everyone sits around and puts up their favorite YouTube videos. It's and funny. all you do – because then everyone – so part of the invite is bring your favorite YouTube videos cool. like and it. we'll just stream them up. And so mm-hmm. it's so fun. It never ends. And literally there's no end and it's just tons of laughing. Yeah. See, that's a perfect example because I think, I think a party – if you don't have anything planned, then yeah. small talk can get old. But if you have even just one little yeah. thing – and then you build the night around that, and that leads to other conversations and other funny things. You don't want to overschedule a party no. either because people are there to talk. That's right. People are there to connect. And if, if you have a schedule so tight and you've, you're making speeches all night about whatever, you know, you haven't given your people a chance to do what they came for. You're going to and, – and like I'm not one that loves – like when they say, let's play games. The minute they say that, you know why? Because half the people lose in the game, <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I seem to be the loser. Yeah. So I don't love games, yeah. but I also would love – I love socializing and being able to hang out with people. So you could have – you could even break it down where there's games for those that want to play. There's other stuff. I think that's fun. I like games where you're still interacting. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. You know, so you're still talking because – Otherwise, you're you're feeling a little frustrated because you want to ask that person how their mom's doing or something, you know, and so you want to have time for that. Uh, I think if you're going to have games, and if it's a more formal, businessy type event, make it a, make it clear to people. Say we're going to be starting this round. You give them a little warning. Yeah, you know, at seven we'll be judging costumes or we'll be doing the. So you <laughs> give them a schedule, basically. Kind of, even if it's verbal. Uh, I think it helps them to know how long to stay because sometimes they're they're thinking, okay, how long should I stay? If they know how to, yeah. okay, I I just need to make chit chat till this time because I really came for the. I came for the steak. Came for the food. I came for the uh, talent show. Whatever it is, <laughs> I came you know. to have my hat judged. Uh huh. But what about what about uh, the old raffle? We're gonna have a raffle at the end. So if you want a chance to win the Must prizes, be present to win. Once, once you're trying to get people to stay there just because of the raffle, uh-huh. you probably you, might you may have missed the event boat. And then isn't it so unfortunate when they're pulling names out and they're like, "Oh, they left." Oh, Next sorry, one, they weren't. They here. left. Yeah, this sorry. person's gone. All of a sudden, you're like, "Well, why am I still here?" I am such a loser. The am cool I the only left. one? And I'm the only one excitedly waiting. I know. I wanted that T-shirt. <laughs> I stayed Mama all night. Mama needs a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Jeanette, that's great insight. Um, give us one more. What's the last thing we should remember when it comes to uh, events, event planning, just professionally and personally? I think being grateful afterwards. So whatever makes sense, whether it's a text, phone call, or maybe a physical card in the mail, tell people thanks for helping, for coming, say something kind about them. You know, I loved seeing you. You look great tonight. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, I appreciated your help with the taking the garbage yeah. out. Or hey, something. we'll get that stain out. Don't worry. Don't worry. I've got zero res on the line. <laughs> uh, I think it, it's just a good closure moment. Yeah. You know, acknowledging that they came. It meant something to How you. How cool is that too? Yeah. And then the next time you host a party, they'll remember that feeling, that closing feeling of appreciation. Should we feel guilty if we're not having enough events? Mm, no. Definitely yeah. not. I mean, life is very full. Oh, yeah. Only do what makes sense. Right. But we can have these lower key events that don't need all the fuss we just talked about. You can make it that simple. You can make it simple. You can just watching it. a game. Right. Don't overthink it. Just invite someone over to, to be with you, to get off our phones and breathe the same air for a minute. And talk to fellow humans. Yes. Well done. Jeanette Bennett's her name. You're going to want to go check out her website, uh, utahvalley360.com or uvmag.com. They By the way, if you, if you go to that, you will see our BYU Sports Nation brethren they on the front cover. They are current cover. cover. The brethren, they're on they there are, looking good. They're looking really good. 
And, in fact, in just a minute, we'll be talking with them to find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. It is that time, folks, where we head down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, and we're going to check in and find out what's coming up on their show uh, in just 12 short minutes. Spencer and Jerem, hello, gentlemen. I didn't realize that uh, the fidget spinner has already run its course. Oh, yeah. Is it over? Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. The rain, it raineth It's The fidget spinner has spun out. It done spunned? Yeah. I'm trying to think of the categories of different, like, Flashes in the pan it come when it mm-hmm. comes to children's toys like pogs. Was pogs bigger than fidget pogs spinners and or not? fidget spinners and those slap bracelets. Oh, oh! Do you remember the slap bracelet? Oh yeah, my daughter still has one. You guys so are probably going, too young to remember this, but when I grew up, it was just the parents would slap you. Wow! You didn't even have a slap bracelet. <laughs> it was a it was a different time. Yeah. It really was. Ah, those were the good old days. <laughs> I remember them well. <laughs> hey, um, guys, uh, question for you. Yeah. The, well, two things. First of all, what do you think about – are you hearing about the Washington baseball fans that are in trouble? What happened? Because no. uh, the National League Division Series Game 5 is tonight. Mm-hmm. But apparently oh, yeah. they're going to be shutting down the Metro Rail at 11 o'clock. So – Makes sense. To, to do maintenance, I guess. And uh, to fix some of their problems there. But the the problem is this game is going to go well beyond that. So the fans now have to decide, do you go to the game in like really a once-in-a-lifetime thing so far and where they could win the playoff and first time in franchise history or and not have a ride home? Or what do you do? Wow, man, this is the definition of a first-world problem, isn't it? Can you imagine? Like what if you had to walk? What or if- gasp. Arrange a different ride, or take a bus. <sighs> maybe take or a, take Uber. Maybe take a town car. Man, or Uber would be going crazy that night. Or just how about carpool to the game? Amazing. No, 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 no. This is in this is in D.C. They don't they don't carpool. <clears throat> they I, just take black cars. I know it's inconvenient, but like here's the thing: they've been planning this scheduled maintenance probably for like months. They've known about it. Nobody thought they'd, I guess, get this far. I guess I don't know why they would do it at this time. <laughs> or by the way, you could also get a riverboat ro- uh, ride across the Potomac for thirty-seven dollars. There you go. Round trip. There you okay. go. Nothing wrong with that. That would no, ma- that on. would add excitement. The Potomac. <sighs> the Potomac. The people will be there. They'll be there. These it's are just fans. a matter of how they get home. That's right. And maybe they don't get home tonight. Maybe they get home in a couple of days. That is the weird thing about Washington, D.C. Not exactly safe after 11 o'clock. Well, yeah. So that's, that's probably why this, that's why this is making so much, uh, so much noise. What do you guys think about the Yankees beating out Cleveland? Jerry oh, loves the Yankees. The, the Indians are what happened? the chokiest choke artists. <laughs> Choke artists of them all because they've lost like seven of the last eight elimination games or something. Chokiest choke artists. Finish, finish it. You're the best. You're the best team in the AL. Yeah. You're World Series hopeful. Mm. Oh, devastating. Ah. I have a brother-in-law who's a big Indians fan, and I am. uh, I'm sad for him. I man, Indians clutch, right? Right. Clutch. Sorry, they're not like you guys. 
The Yankees are like you guys. The Yankees, you, the you Yankees are, are interesting. They've injected some young players into the mix that are uh, taking them to the next level. Joe Girardi might have been out. Maybe he's not out. I don't know. Mm. We'll see. See, now what T- do you do? Tough yeah. go with the Astros. Uh, Astros won five of seven in the regular season. Oh, wow. This is exciting time. Compelling baseball uh, is the best baseball. You got baseball, you got basketball, you got football, you got kneeling down, you got standing yep. up, you got linking arms. You got hockey. You got hockey. You got There's metro, a lot going on. metro rail shutdown. <laughs> you got BYU Cougars, right? And oh, there's that. You got Cosmo making huge news. Why is Cosmo that? the hottest thing off of BYU campus right recently? Cosmo is the hottest well, thing. Well, understandably, yeah. given what he's done and what uh, the football team has not done. Man, right? Cosmo's got moves. Oh, my goodness. Does he ever. Dancing with the Cosmonauts. <laughs> the Cosmonauts. What are they called? Cougarettes? Yeah. Sorry, Cosmonauts. Cosmonauts, I was way off. (laughs) Not even close. Go Cougars. Hey, what are you guys talking about on your show? We're trying to define improvement for BYU. Okay. Listen, this Saturday is not about winning and losing. It really isn't because uh, I don't see BYU winning this game. I think this is an LSU-Wisconsin type of situation. Nobly. BYU scored 14 points at home against a worse Mississippi State defense last year with Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams. Ooh. I think it's going to be tough to get some points on the board. Um, of course, you always have a chance. I just really don't see a scenario in which BYU wins per se, although I'd love to be surprised. So what would define improvement for BYU against Mississippi State? Mm. That would be our discussion. That's a great How question. How will you know if BYU improves? Um, what does that look like? That's cool. Maybe a quarterback plays the whole game. That would be fantastic. Well, that happened last you know, mostly last Friday. Well, yeah, here's the thing, though, with true. that. If Tanner Mangum plays the whole game, that means that he's having some success. Probably, yeah. yeah. We think that Joe Crisler is going to play regardless. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, no matter what's going on. Do you know, if you want to tell him, I'm free. Uh, I'm free this Saturday. If you want to just drop We'll, we'll pass that along to Kalani. And just, just see. Just see. <laughs> and I don't want to push anything. Yeah. Some, sometimes people need to be pushed. <laughs> yeah. So true. Anything else on the show that we need to like get the folks ready Dennis for? Dennis Pitta will join oh, us yeah. champ, my BFF. Your uh, BFF. Sione Takitaki, one of the defensive linemen. How does the defense help this team out a little more? And uh, Mary Lake, the excellent libero from the seventh-ranked women's volleyball team, the squad. The squad. Love it. You guys, of course it's going to be good, and it's just five minutes away. They've got Pitta. Who who usually goes a little head to head? He has a love hate relationship with Jerem, and I think it's more love. I hope, but uh, it's pretty intense. It's an intense rivalry. Are you going to be watching the game? Yeah, oh yeah. Well, really, I actually have two speeches uh, on Saturday. It's a great day to have those two speeches, <laughs> but I will tape it. Will you? Because there's that once in a lifetime chance that. You know, something happens. If BYU wins the game, maybe somebody spikes the Gatorade and Mississippi can't play their start. I don't know. I don't want to create a scandal. Too late. Too late. Just done scandaled it. I can't. I don't know what it is. I can't get over this picture of Kurt Russell. Did you hear about this story of Kurt Russell? Um, He's on set uh, with his movie... Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. There's a funny picture. Did you see the picture? No. He's on set and uh, with Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, 
and they're all they're all sitting in their like directors' chairs. But Kurt Russell fell asleep, apparently. <laughs> and behind him, it looks like there is this tiny little person, like a tiny person as the hairdresser, doing his hair while he's asleep. <laughs> but I think it's really someone working on something behind him. That's funny. <laughs> but now it's all over the Twitter sphere. People are trying to figure out who is that tiny little hairdresser working on Kurt Russell's hair while he's taking a snooze. Is that our hero of the day? That's not the hero oh. of the day. The hero of the day is a, a fire chief who lost uh, Santa Rosa home, and he's now being held as the hero. When a wildfire ripped through the Santa Rosa early morning, uh, Monday morning, Tom Welch made sure his family and neighbors were safe before dash- dashing back home to see if there was a chance of defending his house from the flames. It was about getting people out of there, Welch said uh, Tuesday from Chico, California, where he and his family were staying with the in-laws. The fire was moving and we went house to house, kicking in doors to get people out. Welch, who is the chief of the Mill Valley Fire Department, lost his home that morning after hours of uh, search and rescue and battling the blaze. But alongside Santa Rosa and Windsor firefighters, they were able to save about eight homes in the Coffee Park neighborhood. Welch said that about 1 a.m. when he was uh, on a conference, Conference call with Marin County Fire Chief Jason Weber. Anyway, after the call, he went back and, and did it again, worked another few blocks to save as many people in their homes as he could. So he's now being held as the hero. Tom Welch uh, is uh, the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. Lots of heroes coming out of these uh, tragedies uh, and the fires going on in California. That's the show, my friends. We're here Monday through Friday, 9 to noon. We'll be back again tomorrow, but uh, stick with us because BYU Sports Nation is up next.